Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 366. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. You noticed that when we got on the call, I sound a little bit different tonight as we record because, yeah, I had a little allergy issue take place uh, over the weekend, so uh, trying to get over that as uh, we record here, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> all in all, other than that, you know, I was dealing with that as wrestling had quite the weekend as well. You know, SummerSlam took place, the Ric Flair roast took place, that Ric Flair's last match took place. Quite the eventful weekend. Uh, Sean Rossap uh, murking Billy Batty. So uh, quite the weekend. How many people do you think listen to the show even know how? Excuse me, who Billy Batty or Batty or however you pronounce it is? Um, I'm sure there's some because you know, mean, he did have that. He did he have has, that run with Russo, and he has the spot on Conan show. So there is that. But yes, there was that, and also he got kicked out of the back at the Flair show after it ended, trying to sneak back there at least three times. Yeah, what a tool. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, quite the eventful weekend of wrestling. And uh, anyway, we're here now to uh, go into August. And, of course, August is a busy month in my life. A lot of birthdays in this month, especially mine. But we're going to talk about a, a interesting week in wrestling history as we Discuss the week of August the 2nd through August the 9th. We can actually day in here of 1989. And that would have been my 10th birthday, August 9th, 1989. So there you go. And we'll begin with the World Wrestling Federation. And Dave Meltzer on the road. Sort of. Close to his house. The WF rolled into town this past week for TV tapings in Oakland and Fresno, joining events sell out crowds in both cities. Oakland on August the 8th drew 14,000 fans, 13,500 paid, and $169,000 gate, while Fresno the next night drew 9,800 paid, and $106,000 gate. Both cities were sold out well before showtime. Third time WF has done the TV taping in the Bay Area and is easily the most successful of the three. The first time at the Cow Palace a few years back drew a sellout, but it was heavily padded with 2,500 freebies. The show was pretty poor as entertainment went, with the fans booing both the faces and the heels by the time the third hour of taping began. And there was almost no heat for anything after the midway before the second hour of taping. Second time around in Oakland was a better show, although it only drew about 9000 paid for Hogan and Boss Man. Crowd wasn't as ugly as before, but generally seemed lethargic as the show drew on in the endless matches and didn't seem that pleased overall. This show was a marked difference. The crowd was hot for all three hours of taping and all the primetime wrestling tapings as well. And a few people left early, a market difference from the previous tapings, because of the anticipation of the Hogan versus Randy Savage match with Zeus in the corner, which was the main event. The enthusiasm for the entire show was impressive, considering the length of the show and the percentage of kids in the crowd. You can't expect good wrestling in WF taping, or any WF show for that matter. So judging it on whether the matches are good is pointless, but there was one match out of the 31, which is undeniably good, and a few others were at least passable. As for the rest, well... An interesting thing we all noted about crowd reaction. With the exception of Hogan and Savage, who overformed more than anyone else on the card, it was almost hard to make a distinction as to who was over and who wasn't. The crowd reacted almost everyone equally, as long as they had the accompanying music. For example, Mark Young, who has never been pushed on TV for Titan, and nobody in the building knew who he was, still got about the same reaction as the Anabolic Warrior, since the music was cranked up. Definitely Pavlov's dog stuff here. Still, the crowd got almost every 
every app from start to finish, which was an impressive sight. All right, well, let's talk about 1989 WF. I mean, 1989, especially right here in this era, they, they're as hot now as they have been in a few years. Um, coming off Hogan and Savage at WrestleMania and that whole program, doing tremendous house show business, no holds bars in the theaters, Hogan's a movie star, Zeus is on TV, and we'll have more about him as we go along. So they have definitely hit a mark here with, uh, especially with kids. And yeah, I mean, Dave's seeing it with his own eyes that uh, they're hot. And the show quality is also very good in 1989, too. The week to week TV is very good. You know, they have a decent amount of like competitive main events on the syndicated shows. The booking is good. But, you know, Hogan Savage is, and to an extent Zeus is the big thing, and it's helping them draw everywhere. And Hogan Boss, man, I should say. And another thing, too, is you're having some different names in the mix. You know, you got some new additions that's come in and now getting pushed. So 88 is like the end of that whole early run, basically, with guys as 88 goes along. And then 80, 89 kicks in, and you're starting to see more people in different positions, and you get the new additions like a Dusty Rhodes, for example, you know, and uh, you know people coming in and stuff. So it's fre- it's getting refreshed as a product. So you got, I mean, you look at 89 demolitions now, baby faces, and they get over huge as baby faces, and you got Dusty. Um, Savage turning heel, of course, and with Sherry involved in that, Zeus, um, and just new feuds and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, everything's catching fire at the, at the right time for them. All right, running down the show, which is mainly tapings for superstars or wrestling shows that will air August 19th to the 26th in the first week of September, plus a few primetime wrestling shots. And Dave's going to go down match by match here. Opening match of the night, Bora Zukov pinned Mark Young in the opener. Young got a bigger action. They popped for his breakdancing. They would have popped if he was picking his nose as long as he, they was a comp, mu, there was musical accompaniment. Whoops. I wish I hadn't have said that because Vince will now try and humiliate someone by making him do that at the next taping now. <laughs> we don't have to worry about stuff like that anymore, Bix. Vince and humiliation. Young did some acrobatics, but is slow in getting to the moves. Zukov must weigh around 320 pounds now, way overweight. Young looked as though he was trying to jump off the top rope and come up with a flying move, but slipped on the top rope and put back on his head, and Boris pinned him at their elbow drop. Give Young credit, the finish looked like a mistake, so if you're realistic, one star. I think Dave's just kind of the fact that this is the opening match, and fans are just happy to see action in the ring. You know? Um, when you say that? Yes, but Mark Young is also the... Just futzing with my volume there for a second. Mark Young is also the lowest wrestler on the totem pole to have entrance music. Yeah, but still, he's a guy. That, it's the it's that first match of the night. You're going yeah. to get that first match of the night pop. Yeah, and he does. You know, he does things like the break dancing and stuff like that, which is yes, 1989. But still, I mean, it's something that the crowd can get into. So there is that little difference there between him and some other random baby face starting up the show. But yeah, Boris Zukov was definitely, he got too big. His head was gigantic. 
and his body got started getting huge as well. So, all right, second match: the Widowmaker Barry Windham beat the Red Rooster by countout. Windham's also gained a lot of weight in the special Titan diet and looks around two hundred ninety-ish. In fact, his body and height reminds Dave of Bruiser Brody somewhat in the way he does the flying moves and moves around the ring. Dave was actually expecting a good match here, but was watching the wrong promotion. Wyndham looked kind of lethargic with the added weight, and the match was quite slow-paced. Everything they did was solid, with the exception of some minor timing problems. Finish saw Taylor Brewster, Taylor, hold Wyndham in the headlock outside the ring, and Wyndham went to shove him off the ring post. However, Taylor didn't go to the post. Still wound up counting out of the ring. Bell rang out of nowhere, and the finish had no build-up whatsoever. Two and a quarter stars. Imagine that match two years earlier. Yeah, and when we talk about bad WWF finishes, we don't always mention count-out that occurs out of nowhere where the referee is not visibly counting. Yeah. Not a good one. Yeah, Wyndham definitely... uh put the pounds on when he came in here. Um, Did he visit with Tokyo Joe? Well, he had that time off. Yeah, you know, that's he did. What happened? Yeah, that's probably what happened. And I'm not talking about steroid weight. He just got big. He eating with blackjack. Yes. Alright, uh, Ted DiBiase beat Jim Evans with the sleeper. Oh, okay. I, 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 I was going to make a joke, and then well, I guess not. Yeah, it says Tim Evans, but uh, it's Jim Evans because that was a notable WFTV job guy with the sleeper, Million Dollar Dream. The hold isn't over in the least. DiBiase is claiming to have ended Jake Roberts' wrestling career. And so you talked about Jake before both his matches. It makes Dave think that Titan has a good idea. Jake won't be serving any time when his sentencing comes about this week on the assault charges in Florida. And they were right. Before the next match, they introduced Pepper Gomez to the crowd. Gomez was a headliner, a big draw here in the early 1960s, feud with Ray Stevens, and worked on and off in the area through that late 70s. Very few in the crowd seemed to know who he was, which tells you about how much wrestling crowds have changed in the past decade. Although this crowd was hardly a stereotypical Titan yuppie crowd, with more kid, but more kids who probably weren't even born when Gomez had retired. A later mention on the card of Pat Patterson, the area's top draw in the early 70s, drew more than recognition and reaction. But still nothing like what one would expect from a regional legend's name. This is definitely Pat having this done. Because you never heard of WF going to a town and recognizing local regional legend that's in the right. crowd. Yeah. Right? Unless it's like a friend of someone who's got power. Right. Or they're doing a special event, or it's a very, you know, some other kind of market-specific thing, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. All right, the Rockers, who had Tito Santana in their corner, beat the Black Knight, Billy Anderson, and Tim Patterson. Dave guesses Jason Ventura and Vince McMahon can tell all the jokes about Tim Patterson being the illegitimate son of Pat Patterson, like they did another time he worked the West Coast taping. Oh, yes. I remember those. Rockers just simultaneous double fist drop on Patterson for the pin. Even though this is one of the more spectacular-looking finishes, the crowd then popped for the finish since it wasn't an established finish. Rockers look great. So is that the debut of that move? It's one of the early ones, yeah. So did they have an established finish up to this point? I know they used the Rockerplex in their early TV matches, but I don't think that was their finish the whole way through to this point. Established finish? They really didn't have an established finish. They just used some kind of wacky, spectacular double team to win, but it wasn't always the same thing. 
Yes. Okay. You re- do you remember some of the Tim Patterson jokes? Um, I remember them happening, but that's about it. There was one that was um, uh, it was Gorilla, and uh, I, I don't know if it was Lord Alfred or Heenan with him, and they were making that joke, and one of them says, "You know that's not that that's not possible." <laughs> Something like that was said. Okay. Oh, they love their well, Pat Patterson humor. I'm searching YouTube. There is a Don the Rock Morocco versus Tim Patterson. Oh, wait. This is just the finish. Never mind. I was going to say... It, yeah. And that, it, yeah. That seems like it would be the right timing, although it might actually be earlier than that. But, uh, oh, well. I'm sure it's out there. Oh, wait a second. Oh, there was a, there's a Demolition versus... Uh, oh wait, is this from September? Never mind. I'm reading the date wrong. What's well, not? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, yeah. So it's hard to find. So yeah. find which one said which. All right. Uh, next match: Coco Beware with blonde and blue hair pin Greg Valentine. Ronnie Garvin came to the ringside, and when Valentine went for the kickboard, he released the hold to argue with Garvin, and Coco pinned him from behind. Huge pop for the upset. Nobody would have cared about the match except Garvin came down and appeared something was up. Has Garvin already retired? Oh, yeah, because we covered that earlier in the year. Or we covered the week before. Yeah. Has, but he's, he's, uh, he's not a referee yet, though. No. Well, okay. I think he's already been the referee. Oh, okay. It, the Ronnie Garvin timeline can get wonky of what's, what, what he's doing at certain times. If unless you're pay, going week by week. Yeah. You mean like how he worked Super Clash 3 after he already started with the WWF? Well, I'm talking about no the the timing of this whole okay. this ring announcer referee was he suspended? I mean, all that stuff. You don't know what he is doing, but uh, shit like that. All right, um, Rip Martell, accompanied by the Rougeos, pinned Jerry Monty with the old bombs away name drop off the top rope. Martell's a lot better as a heel now than he first made the turn. He's kind of getting a smug Jacques Rougeau act down. Yeah, once he got in his comfort zone, he was fantastic. And who would have thought? Yeah, career babyface. Because, I mean, Rip Martel's one of the greatest babyfaces of all time. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you wonder what a heel steamboat would have been like. From people who saw him do it at seminars, apparently he was fantastic. Oh, I, you could see him. I mean, when, when he would be aggressive in promos and stuff, you could see him when he could be a heel, like a condescending heel. Absolutely. Shame we never got it. At least once. Dusty Rose pinned Barry Horowitz. Dusty now wears yellow spots on everything. His knee pads, his tank top, his trunks. This must be a rib, because according to women's magazines, spot makes spots makes one look fatter than one really is, and must be avoided by anyone who's even the slightest bit overweight. They don't know if it's the spots, but Dusty looked even fatter than before. He wears a policeman's hat and twirls around the nightstick they stole from the big boss man. Dave doesn't know if it's intentional or not, but with the police hat and nightstick instead of a kendo stick and the bleach blonde hair and gross overweight frame, Dusty looks almost exactly like Dump Matsumoto. Too bad it game weren't like her. Dusty got a good reaction for his gimmick spots and a huge reaction to his interest in exit music. Ah, uh, the polka dots, Bix. This has got to be the beginning of it, if Dave's talking about it like this. Yep, and, and we should note, though, Dusty had worn polka dots before in the late 70s long time yeah, yeah. long time before 
Yes, and like, but there are like rankings in the wrestler where they use photos of him with the polka dots. Yeah, but yes, I I I have to think it was what Dave thinks it is. Oh, it's total rip. Yeah, absolutely. We all talked talk about that, but Dusty took it and ran with it. Yeah, God bless him. Well, and also it has to be because up to this point, so far in his run, they have done things to make him more of a. WWF character, you know, visually that aren't the polka dots. Like, you know, for a few weeks he was wearing the tie-dye tank top and stuff like that, but ends up having to be have this be a signature thing, the polka dots. Yeah. Because remember, he can't he comes in, he's wearing the black tights. Straight no, he's wearing the dusty regular dusty stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the so, satin jacket at first, too. Yeah. I missed a satin jacket era of wrestling. Yes. Speaking of, the Brain Busters, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, who loved them some satin jackets, beat Stefan De Leon and Louis Spicoli. Spicoli has a resemblance to Bobby Eat. The Brain Busters won with a stuffed pile driver. Hair-wise, he had a resemblance to Bobby Eaton. Yes. And body type. Uh, maybe. And a ball of warrior pin Steve Vega. The reaction for the Warrior was no better than for everyone else. As the match got going, one of the Titan office guys walk around just wanting to plant the gimmicks for TV cameras to pick up. Unfortunately, one of Dave's friends was wearing a TPS sports cap, so we didn't get any free Duggan foam rubber 2x4s. We didn't know at the time that we could have all got kicked out of the building for wearing such heinous apparel. More on that in a little bit. They made Warrior carry the guy back that made Warrior carry the guy back that he beats. Which is almost unfair because the guy can hardly walk without having a heart attack to begin with, let alone having to carry somebody to the back with him. Boy, what a sentence that is. Wow. After the match, Bobby Heenan and Warrior start an argument, and Andre came up and choked Warrior out. Warrior stinks as bad as ever. Man, Dave's talking about Warrior like this in 1989, Bix. I think he meant the heavy breathing. I don't think he meant he turned red, did he? Well, I mean, he's... He must have noticed something. <laughs> he's talking I about know, a man about that heart attack. Dave, he's more prone to hyperbole. I don't think he's talking like when with high. Like, I feel like people forget the like the idea that Warrior might legit be having a heart attack was not something people talked about retroactively after he died from that weekend. It was a thing people were talking about during the Hall of Fame and during his promo on Raw. Yeah, and but Dave's talking about here in 1989. I know, but in that case, it seems like he was actually having a heart attack on and off for several days. I know, but he he was prone to looking. It's like Brock when he turns purple all the fucking time when something happens. Which, by the way, I thought I was I thought it was interesting. People were saying that over the weekend because I didn't think he looked particularly purple. No, he didn't. No, he did. But I saw people saying he did. He didn't. No. Well, it was a last, no. even though it was his longest match in like eight years it was also a last man standing match with a lot of downtime exactly not just him selling also him driving oh that's a yeah that's a whole other story yes anyway all right back to 1989 in a primetime wrestling match kurt mr perfect henning went to a 20 minute draw with tito santana there were good arm drag spots and henning is one of the easy one of the best workers they've got this is 85 percent rest holds and the most boring match on the card Last 10 minutes, nobody's paying attention for the most part. First half was actually better, and it seemed the longer they went, the less heat they maintained. Start on a quarter only because Henny took some outrageous bumps. Again, folks, just because a match is long 
doesn't necessarily mean it's good. You know? So don't judge don't judge matches yeah. by match length. No. No, there are other things that can I mean it's not inherently good because it's long or not match is not inherently bad because it's short. Exactly. Yeah. Then came a Brother Love segment with Hulk Hogan and Bruce Beefcake and they cut Brother Love's hair. Oh yes. Quite the moment there. Next, we get the Widowmaker painting Dan Brazil with a superplex. Apparently, they must not have liked this match because they may win them, go out and do it again two matches later. But this wasn't noticeable disaster for Squash like the do overs they've seen on other tapings. Well, it says Dan Brazil, but he's got a different opponent for him later in, later on, two matches down. So I don't know. So Maybe that's just probably different... the one that aired. Yeah, they may have a different opponent. So there you yeah, go. Exactly. Dino Bravo and Honky Top Man beat the Hart Foundation by DQ. Hart's got the best introduction reaction thus far on the card, possible exception of Virgil Runnels. Neidhart got caught using the megaphone to finish. Match was too bad since Brett was in the ring most of the way. Start a quarter. I mean, start well, a half, excuse me. The 89 Hart Foundation reunion is when they get the entrance music, isn't it? Yes. So that goes to what Dave was saying earlier, too. Yes. Widowmaker pin Luis Piccoli this time. Fans chanting Barry, Barry at him. More heat, some cheers this time around. Guess you can thank Spicoli for that. Yeah, and I'm guessing this is what aired. Yes. Bushwhackers beat Peter Ketchum and Don Stevens. All the kids do the Bushwhacker walk. It's quite a sight to watch the crowd, which is the best thing to watch because you know nothing's going to happen in the ring. They spent the match trying to get the Bushwhacker hat over as a gimmick. The guy out of the ring wears the hat. They pass it back and forth and they tag in and out. And Stevens used to do a wrestling bulletin about 20 years ago when his name was Don Alvarez. Until I saw that, I was going to ask if this was Don Fargo, but <laughs> clearly not. It's Don Alvarez. I wonder if, uh, Brian, if he's in Ken the Brian Alvarez. You know, the same last name, newsletters. What if there's something going on there? I don't know. Bad News Brown pinned Jim Gorman. Nothing else said. Next, we get Hacksaw Jim Duggan beating Ed Vargas, who those of you who have bad dreams that were reality may remember as former AWA superstar Rocky Mountain Thunder. Yes. Vargas got a good reaction from the crowd due to his size. These people are definitely brainwashed to music and size. Then came Jim Oakland until the crowd made noise as they were going to tape the open of the show. Where they put the crowd making noise in the background as Vince and Jesse talk about the show. This is the loudest the crowd got the entire car with the possible exception of Hogan's entrance. Gene, they got the fans to check Jesse, Jesse, which they did. It marked a difference in the NWA in Baltimore when the ring announcer tried to get them to chant Luger and Luger, but unfortunately for the NWA, their crowd is, aren't Pavlo dogs, Pavlo's dogs, and don't react that easily. As this was going on, there was a huge banner being walked around the building which said, NWA number one! Dave only brings that up because of what happened next. The card stopped cold. We had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden, the card stopped. Several security officers and Tony Gurria started chatting, then went to the crowd, and they started looking to see what the problem was, but no fights in the stands or nothing. Dave kind of figured it out. But the perpetrators of this heinous act were nowhere to be seen. It became obvious they were looking for the banner, but couldn't find it. And they would not restart the card until they did. Luckily, WF has no competition in this business. There's only a fictitious delay in the car trying to find a fictitious banner for a non-existent competitor. <laughs> Finally, after a long delay, a few kids finked on the guys with the banner, and they carted the guilty parties out of the building and ripped up the banner. Dave was truly amazed at all this. 
they didn't mind him confiscating the banner, but they make such a fuss and hold up a taping of or something like this. It's more about Titan than anything anyone else can say. After confiscating the banner and actually have security kit the guys out of the arena was a bit much. By the way, this is on the middle level of a huge building, so it's not like it would show up visibly on television like it was at ringside. Uh, yeah. We'll have more, we'll have more on this. Oh, 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 is that yes. what I saw that we have from the reader's pages? That is correct. Okay. Yes. So we'll have more on this in just a little bit. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, the delay was more exciting than the next match where Ted DiBiase pinned Hillbilly Jim on primetime wrestling. Almost all stalling until the finish. Half a star because DiBiase took one really good bump off the top rope. Yikes. Uh, Rougeau's pinned Jim Evans and Dennis Murto. This Rougeau song is a hoot. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> one of the best WFE songs of all time. From Montreal to Memphis, parlez-vous français. <laughs> that's the, that's the illusions on the way. It's a Jimmy Hart masterpiece right there. Yes. Have you seen the unplugged version in like the Jimmy Hart VH1 Storytellers knockoff DVD he did? No. Oh, God. Let me see if it's isolated on YouTube. Yeah, I want to hear that. Oh. Acoustic version of that. Let's see. Uh, Jimmy Hart. What the hell is that called? I think I tweeted it once too. Let me see. Let me maybe look for it that way. Um, all American boys. All American boys. There's a video Hannibal put up of them of Hart and Rougeau singing it two months ago together at some event. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Hold on. I know, but I'm just seeing that. David Bixenspan Rougeau. I'm just going to Google it. Rougeau theme. No, that's not finding it. I'll look for it. Wait. Wait. If I do Rougeau on my Twitter, let's see. Uh, American boy. uh, I'll find it. I'll see if I can find it. I, I, I might not have used a good keyword for it. Hmm. I bet it's one of those tweets where I just said mood, like an idiot, and then couldn't find it later. Hmm. Oh, here it is. I Disapp- found it. It was one of those. That's how I found it. <laughs> You're disappointing everybody. Oh, All right. Here we go. There we go. All right. Let's see. Yes. From Montreal to Memphis, Hollywood, France, Tell all the girls the Rougeos are on their way. They don't like heavy metal. They don't like rock and roll. But all they like to listen to is Barry Manilow. They're all American boys. All American boys. They're all American boys. Oh, that's fantastic. I wish he didn't skip a, a, so much of the first verse, though. That's fantastic. If I, I wouldn't hear a verse like that to crank it up. All right. Uh, I don't think he 
did one on that, unfortunately. All right, next, Ronnie Garvin, newly reinstated as an active wrestler by Jack Tunney. There you go, Bix. Uses uh, dreaded NWA finishing move, the KO punch on the intruder. Nobody cared about Garvin, even with the angle earlier in the car and all the hype on TV the past few months. Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, pin Mike Luca next. Mike Lupica? No, Luca. Okay. Like the song by uh, Suzanne Vega. Oh, and we just had a job, and we just had a guy named Vega doing a job on this TV. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Haku pin Ricky Powerbomb Ataki. Haku gave Ataki a chance to show some stuff. Well, that's nice of him. I guess he respected him because he um, he, he was doing a Ricky Choshu ripoff uh, with his name and everything. I don't know. Warrior pin Andre. Well, I mean, uh, 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 to be clear, I don't. Chris is not pulling out of thin air. Ricky Ataki did have the Ricky Choshu haircut and Ricky Choshu style gym shirt. And spelled his name R-I-K-I. Yes. Yes. Warrior pin Andre in about 20 seconds with the three closed lines. The only reason it took so long is because it took Andre a long time to get into position. Place popped like crazy at the finish. Unlike in most other cities, they've run this. Dave Steers, they hear everyone came to see Hogan versus Savage. And while this was advertised, it wasn't a main event, as it is on the house shows. And really, nobody would complain about a short match when you were getting nearly a five-hour car to begin with. Besides, Dave was grateful it wasn't as short as it did. Yeah, we had talked about that on the previous show for this year, for 89 that we did. Talked about all the uh, Warrior Andre shenanigans and how I got him in big trouble. Um, Augusta, Georgia, Las Vegas, and stuff like that. So go back and listen to that show for more on that whole drama. It was pretty interesting. Next, we get the Bushwhackers over with the Brain Busters by DQ in a title match. Execution stunt, but the story of the match with near falls were good. He also got DQ for double teaming star and three quarter. Brutus Beefcake pinned Chuck Hambone. That's a name. Beefcake got a lot of whistles from the crowd. Unfortunately, the whistles were all from guys. <laughs> Unfortunately? Okay. Well, well I, guess for, I guess that's not what, what Titan wanted, so. Yeah, uh, I guess insert your Bay Area joke here for that one or something. I don't know. San Francisco. Anyway, Dave said it. All right, Demolition beat Boris Zukov and Jake the Milkman Milliman. That's a tag team right there. Well, also, the Bolsheviks are a team at this point, so that's weird. Nikolai's not there. No, Nikolai's not there. Where is he? Oh, this is during the period where he's sort of gone as a cut cut back? Yeah, he's working indies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I think that hmm. the week after our week, he's main event in a big show in Maryland against Ken Patera. Of course. Yeah. Next, Bossman beat Bob Ellis. Not the famous wrestler by the same name. Um, that would be Cowboy Bob Ellis. And the, Al would, Katz. Well, I was just going to say, I don't think this would be Robbie Ellis either, since we're not in New England. No. Al Getz, dear friend of the show, um, just did a thing on Cowboy Bob Ellis um, yeah. recently uh, on their li- on their latest podcast on the Charter of the Territories podcast. Everybody go listen to that. That's yes. wild shit about Bob Ellis. Uh, you know what? Rigging rodeos or some shit. And then what no, uh, horse races where they entered a, an older horse as a younger horse, I believe. Yes, they were doing ringers. Yes, and uh, yeah, twice, I, I, <laughs> at least twice, in different cities. Well, like over a decade apart, I think too. Yeah, 
Yes, but yes, I uh, I helped him track down the uh, court records, how to figure out how to get those. So I played a role in this. I apologize. Shocking. Uh, Rick Rue pinned Tim Horner in a primetime match. Very good fast-paced match with a good execution. He's the best thing on the card, and Horner was the best work on the card. Three stars. How about that? <laughs> I mean, that's it's, it's funny. You know, Tim Horner, who is there by his own admission to get a paycheck. Yes. And he's still going out there having the best matches of the card. Yep. Hercules beat Daryl Nickel. Powers of Pain beat Tom Stone and Dale Wolf. Used to be Dusty Wolf, but nobody can be called Dusty here except for the dream. Jobber's got the same reaction as Powers of Pain, who appeared to be the deadest pushed act in the circus. Ooh. Okay. They, so After the feud with Demolition, I mean, they were. They, they just yes. died. Yes. Which is crazy because WWF doesn't normally do that. They'll transition them into another tag team feud. They never got another tag team feud. They just fell off for... So I'm trying to remember, is WrestleMania the blow-off, or did it go on after that? WrestleMania was a blow-off. So they they basically just, they're just dead in not, and not in a program for a year. They're just working, yes. They, they, there's some stuff in there that's good, like the Rockers match from the Garden towards the end of their run is fantastic. But Yeah, but they're just, they're not, they're just, there's no juice. Yeah, well, juice, but not juice. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes. Um, as far as Dusty Wolf, well, Dale's his real name. Yeah. And I always love it when they did this. So there was Dale Wolf became Dusty Wolf. Tanaka became Pat Tanaka because he was wrestling Tatanka. Are there any other examples yes. like this? With well, the don't, don't forget, I mean, the Dusty Wolf was also Dusty Woods at one point, too. Yes, he was. And then I guess I wonder if he changed that because of Dusty Woods Entertainment. Probably. Didn't want to be associated with Paul Fishbein of Adult Video News. <laughs> All right, uh, Dusty Rose beat Boss Man at five minutes as an elbow drop. Dusty was twirling two nightsticks. At least if it had been Dump Matsumoto, this would have been a decent match. Dave pities the people that have to watch this match as a main event. No heat during the match, but they sure popped for that song at the finish. Dud. Uh, also, we should note, by the it's way... WF. Yes. But also, we should note that most of the way through, Dave has been spelling Nightstick with a K, although we did not hear. I mean, it's WBF. I mean, that's the thing. It's theme songs and stuff like that. It's holds true to this day. It's what they know you for. Yes. And the main event. Randy Savage beat Hulk Hogan by count out in eight minutes. Hogan was off, but Savage and Sherry Martell more than made up for it. And once for the fact that her interviews are weak... Dave would say Sherry really should win manager of the year this year because nobody works better at ringside. Heat was deafening even at the midnight. Zeus is totally lost at ringside, but they put him over great. Owen kept running away from him, or should Dave say backing away whenever he would approach and show fear. Typical Hogan match, though Savage was working hard, but Hogan missed a lot of moves. Hogan body slammed Zeus after the match was over when it appeared Zeus had him caught in the corner. Two stars. So I'm curious to see Hogan messing up spots left and right. Yeah. That's something you don't really hear about with him. No, not necessarily well executed, but not that. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say here? As far as Sherry's promos, they're getting there. I would say it's this this part of the run is where she, her promos get good. I think, well, I think it's, actually, I think it's Macho King. 
when he becomes Macho yes. King, th- that's when everything. Well, but the Zeus Association is where she, I think, yeah, really starts I mean, to pick up. Yeah, but Macho King is where I think it really and Queen really Cherry, picks up. yes, yes, picks up the steam. And we have this. At the taming of Faneuil, the J.J. Dillon. Who's the next guy you're going to get for the N.W.A.? And Dillon responded, who's left to get? <laughs> and speaking of the N.W.A., we go to the readers' pages. Yes. This was in the Observer the week after that Dave reported the, the, the results. We are the Oakland Coliseum 2. We are the fans who unfurled a banner reading N.W.A. number one at the August 8th WTV tapings. We are lifelong wrestling fans who had that banner confiscated by Tony Gurria, apparently on orders from Vincent Mann. And let me mention this. Uh, I retweeted a tweet last week as I record this that I saw of uh, somebody took a picture of Tony Gurria. Still has amazing hair. God bless him. It's gray, but God bless him. He still has a head full of hair. Cal Rubman would be proud. How was his profile, though? <laughs> oh, he still looks like Tony Gurria. Just older. Who who are the fans who totally unintentionally brought their TV taping money making machine to a temporary hall because we dared to express an opinion that did not fit WS official life of the fans? We are the Stone Sober fans with nearly 50 years of attending wrestling cars between us who were ejected from an arena for the first time for ex- exercising a constitutionally protected right while drunken marks who are willing to cheer the Anabolic Warrior as an exhibition of wrestling talent remained. Gurria also stole another banner of ours, which simply read Ric Flair at the same time as our other sign was taken away. This banner was never displayed during the car, and we kept it folded under our seats. Upon being confronted by the police, whom we later called to attempt to get the sign back, Gurria lied and said that he had put the sign back in our seats. We later learned from my witnesses that this sign had been destroyed. Of course, we can see why Gurria had felt so threatened by the Ric Flair sign. As, he, as a former over-the-hill jobber for a promotion where wrestling talent's in short supply, he undoubtedly felt threatened by the very sight of the name Ric Flair. See, this is where you're losing me now. I'm, 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 this is getting like the twins. Already. I was going to say, I didn't know the Najak twins lived in uh, the Bay Area. Bruce Grummer. Yeah, this is getting in that territory. Yes. Um, let's continue. As we were ejected from the Coliseum that night, we began to ask ourselves how a wrestling league whose heat depends so heavily upon Americanism, whose champion proclaims himself to be a real American, whose major faces carried the stars and stripes to the ring who called themselves American Dream, could be ejecting fans whose actions were totally nonviolent, didn't interfere with any fans of enjoyment of the product, and were clearly protected by our Constitution's guarantee of free speech. Well, for starters, that's not how the Constitution's guarantee of free speech works. This is amazing already. Yeah. Our discussion le- led us to a basic insight. Oh, the God, I'm scrolling down. How long is this? Let me continue. Because it's going to get better. Our discussion led us to a basic insight to the difference between WF and the NWA. It's definitely answered for us the question of whether the NWA should copy the WS format for financial success. After our treatment, we believe it should not. What happened to us at the WF car would not have occurred in the NWA car. At the house show for the NWA, the fan is the paying customer. And as such, is king. He has the opportunity for catharsis built up by hype. He has the opportunity to be silly or even be obscene. He Notice how the, uh, the fans always he. He has, can cheer for the wrestler of his choice or taunt him unmercifully. McMahon and his crew have fundamentally altered this. The symbolic content of television shows is quasi-fascistic. 
fascistic, excuse me. While wrestlers have traditionally been skilled performers and athletes, the Titan champion is portrayed as a messianic Superman. His large and light portraits that dominate the arena and proclaim the Hulk rules. His issues demandments to his followers who are uniformed in red and yellow, who are referred to as an army, and who engage in ritualistic salutes with souvenir giant hands. This fascistic symbolism goes even deeper. Number two, Bayface could easily serve as a model for a chemically engineered Superman, and is in fact called the Ultimate Warrior. Titan's invocation of Americanism is most disturbing because this brand of Americanism is clearly not democratic or patriotic, although it claims to be, <clears throat> but merely the mindless, unreflective nationalism that is an essential component of a total, total, get it right, totalarian philosophy. But most importantly, McMahon's promotional philosophy has turned the relationship between crowd and performer on its head. In the WWF, house shows no longer exist as such. The shows that are put together without TV cameras are uninspired and boring, and the wrestlers don't even work up a sweat. When the cameras are present, the house show fans are subjected to hour after hour meaningless squash matches for the sake of providing fodder for the mass TV shows. The audience has, that these shows thus become captive and unwilling co-conspirators in the creation of a WWF product and expansion of the Titan Empire. Good Lord. Because TV cameras roll at these shows, the crowd must be regulated with military precision. The fans must cheer on cue and be quiet on cue. <clears throat> the younger fans are encouraged to run to the ring at the appropriate moment, but they must move on cue through the appropriate aisles that cameras can cover <clears throat> and show the appropriate andor for the correct wrestler. Ardor, excuse me. I said, I said andor. There's even a dress code for WF fans. Witnessed the fans a couple months ago to TV tape who were strong-armed they're removing NWA t-shirts and wearing shirts with WF wrestlers on them. You can see where these guys got their ideas from. <clears throat> the deviation from the party line can't be tolerated because it undermines the image that a man wishes to create. Hence the description of our banner and our ejection from the building. <clears throat> Excuse me. We did nothing wrong, but we were only carrying a sign that proclaimed our loyalty to the best wrestling promotion in the country. And perhaps to the greatest wrestler ever is the world champion, the standard bearer. The WF represents a new mutant strain of sports exhibition. It's not the pro wrestling we have enjoyed since childhood. It represents me and the worst components of the darker side of American society. <clears throat> Media manipulation of the public, intolerance, and jingoism. The NWA to us is the best expression of a combination sport and art form, and it's American as baseball. Our banner was not either a work choreographed by the WF or engineered by the NWA. It's really a spontaneous individual expression of our loyalty to the American style of pro wrestling. As such, it was an act that could be neither be tolerated nor understood by the likes of Vincent Mann. Signed the Oakland Two, Dave Meltzer. As I mentioned earlier in the issue, I was on the other side of the building. It was a somewhat amazing spectator to all this. All pro wrestling hype is based on symbolic propaganda. I mean, man's the only the worst from this standpoint because he's the best at doing it. Dave was not surprised nor outraged that the ant banners were confiscated, but was shot that Titan placed so much importance on it to hold up already long card and wouldn't let another match take place so the guys are kicked out and the banners destroyed. Dave was surprised they ripped the banners up, and by doing so, called more attention to the banners that the guys who showed them did in the first place, but was outraged after destroying the banners, they kicked the two guys out of the arena. <clears throat> what a couple of douchebags. And it's obvious, like, I mean, they, they laid it out. It's obvious that they were doing this as inspiration from the twins of Bruce Grummert. So, had there, you know, I forget, was there already a major Bruce Grummert and the twins incident at this point? Yes! Okay. Yes! That's what they're talking about. Omaha, we covered it. 
Okay, I couldn't remember the timeline on it. That's why. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, the heavy-handedness and all this, this is just insane. This writing here about the NWA, for example. Oh, sure, the NWA is not jingoistic at all. <laughs> no, they would never. And, I mean, it's just, you see this, and you read this, and... Okay, yes, it was that. It was the t-shirt incident. Okay, because I'm going back. We did We did on three, uh, 351 was when we talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Russell so Warshirt. 15 shows ago. Yeah. 15 shows ago. So you read this, and like I said, you, you hear this, and the mentality that permeates our society today by a lot of people, mm. I mean, has been, has been around. Oh, as far as you are going against my First Amendment rights by being a private business that is trying to operate just, your private business. <laughs> not just that. Just all this stuff here. That's written here that sounds like something that you would read today. It was around, but They're it was nowhere. Yes. It was it was nowhere near amplified because there was no internet back then. Yes. Oh. So just to put a cherry on top of this, do you remember yeah. uh, what was the next thing in the notes after the observer thing that talked about the T shirt incident? No. From Matt Watch, one WWF <clears throat> insider told Grummert's crew that, quote, the bad blood between us and the NWA is only going to get worse this summer. And here there we are. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this is... <clears throat> and it's funny because the way they're talking about this stuff here, they sound like, you know, what we get from, you know, the Trump-type supporters today and how they are and they're but they're talking about this being nationalistic and stuff like so it's it's really weird to read to read all this stuff and just lord two the oakland two are two sociopaths i mean that's what they are <laughs> I don't i'm know curious I, who, what they're i don't know if i go that far i'm curious what their real names were i mean what what I, well i mean <sighs> Not to just go out of limb, but would it really shock anyone if this was Ron Head and J.R. Benson? I feel like they take credit for it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but Lord. All right, well, let's move on. The Zeus angle aired on the Saturday Night's main event, which was the week before our week, was played to death on the shows all weekend, was one of the great angles of recent times. From what Dave understands, when Zeus actually has to wrestle, it may not be that much of a disaster, at least compared to what it could be. They're doing lots of practice sessions with him in SummerSlam. You know that Savage will be in the ring 95% of the time anyway. In one or two minutes, Zeus has to go in. will be so well rehearsed and scripted, it'll be passable. Eventually, when he gets to the singles, Metro Hogan, it could be trouble. Because you can't do five or six minutes of straight spots with a green guy, especially when Hogan has to be the one doing the carry. But Dave's heard talk that the first pay-per-view match between the two of them may actually be a tape match, in which case they can edit beforehand, which eliminates a lot of potential problems, at least guarantees it won't be a disaster. And that's exactly what happens. No. The first pay-per-view match isn't taped. <clears throat> there are singles matches taped. There is no singles match. Oh, that's right. The Noah's Bar was a tag match. They only did tags. They did 
SummerSlam, Survivor right. Series, and Don't Hold the Power. Yeah. See, I was, I was misremembering. I thought No Holds Bar was a singles. Nope. No Holds Bar, the match of the movie, was Hogan and Beefcake against Savage and Zeus. That's right. That's right. That's right. In a cage. But hey, why have a Merry Christmas when you can have a No Holds Bar at Christmas? Yep. Or excuse and me, speaking hey, of, no, well, Christmas. Well, WF is adding the fifth pay-per-view show for <laughs> night, late, late December. Dave Lee's Hogan versus Zeus will headline. It is thought part of this is booking shows on pay-per-view in late November, late December, and late January. It should flatten the market for NWA Starcade. Dave's under the impression it will be Flair versus Luger, which could do a decent buy rate if correctly hyped. And they want to make sure that, A, companies let me pick it up because three rest maybe three months is too many anyway. Or, B, if they do, their height will pale by comparison and flatten all the shows. But they have the track record and can afford a few flat shows. And NWA trickles it below 1% a few times. Companies are going to be less enthusiastic about carrying future pay-per-view events. Hmm. Well, well Starcade should have been. Yeah, Starcade should have been Flair versus Luger. What? Well, it's had Flair versus Luger, but that's a whole well, other story. You know what I mean. Yes. You know what I mean. Uh, so, you yeah. know, they do this yeah. as a tape show, which is, of course, you know, like we said. No, the match, the movie. Yep. Which, that was the premiere of the movie on pay-per-view, too, right? Yes. Was it even ever available as a standalone pay-per-view movie for $4? No. I don't think it was. No. Huh. Oh. No. Speaking of Noah's Bar, Noah's Bar did $42,020 in 78 theaters over the weekend of August 4th to the 6th, giving it $16,093.65, whatever total. Yeah, there was some an OCR issue here. So a, bit, a little under $16.1 to date yeah. is the best way to put it, I guess. Hulk Hogan returned from two weeks out with a pinched nerve in his neck on August 4th in Memphis, drawing 5700 and $46,000 a gate. Larder's House of Memphis for any promotion since Lawler, Idol, Hammer's Hair, Cage match in 1987. Hmm. As Borzuko pinned Mark Young, Coco beat the Genius by DQ. Martello Retito using the ropes. DiBiase over the Jim using the ropes. Back-to-back matches. Snook over Honky Tonk. Duggan over Haku and Savage over Hogan by countout. Um, and we got the results here, of course, uh, laid out from this. So there's that. Um, also on that night, they're in Montreal at the Forum, where Tim Horner beat Richard Charlon, something for Great Hammer Valentine. Hmm. Dino Bravo over Jim Neidhart. Bushwhackers over Powers of Pain by countout. Barry Wyndham over Paul Roma. Warrior over Andre in under a minute. That's something Andre did that match in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, Boss Man by DQ. And the Rockers over the Rougeaus in a 60-minute marathon match. Three to two in overtime. Rougeaus won the first fall. Rougeaus won the second fall. Rockers won the third fall at 48 minutes. Rockers won the fourth fall at the 57-minute mark. Rockers won the fifth fall when Michaels reversed the inside crib by Raymond, pinned Gennady on top at the Jacques at the same moment to put Raymond on top. We'll have more in the marathon match in a second here. Oh, okay. Salt Lake, August the 5th, $115,000 gate. Boris over Mark Young, Genius over Coco, DBS over Hillbilly, Snook over Honky, Duggan over Haku, Marto over Tito, Savage over Hogan by Countout. Same card as Memphis. Mm-hmm. All right, the 60 minute marathon match with the Rougeaus and the Rockers took place on August the 6th in Chicago. Dave thought it was the first one here. He didn't okay. have the Montreal results. <clears throat> with them ending a tie and going to a sudden death overtime, the Rockers won. Somehow, even when overtime appeared in a match that was supposed to go 60 to start with, the time from start to finish was 45 minutes. Pat Patterson probably got this idea from Roy Shire, who on occasion put this gimmick in the early 70s. 
And Dave recalls seeing Patterson wrestle Don Morocco around 1974 won these, which also in the time limit expire, with each guy winning three falls, and Patterson won a sudden death. If I remember right, Marathon Match was also the Shire name, right? Before it yes. became Iron Man, this was the WCW name. Yes. Um, as the story goes from people who were at these matches, and I'm not saying this is bad, because I quite like the match I'm about to mention, the uh, London Arena match from the British debut show that aired live on Sky, where they do all the stalling like for the first half of the match, and it's very entertaining, but still, was kind of the blueprint for the first half of the match here that they did with the marathon match. Which makes yeah. sense, I guess, especially since it's 1989 WWF. But, okay, let me see if you know this, because this is not something that's well known. As far as we know, what, and I only know of it happening one place, it could have been in a few cities too, what was the first marathon match in the WWF? I don't know. Islander Strike Force. I used to have... Oh, yeah, I, remember, I remember that. Yeah, I there, remember that. Just a random episode of Superstars, I forget what market, it might have been somewhere in Wisconsin, um, that had the local promos for it, but I've never seen the results for it anywhere. Or even any ads or lineups. Yeah, I remember, I remember that now. And they don't bring this back until Brett Owen in 94. Yep. Rosemont Horizon, Chicago. On August 6th for a $75,000 gate. Uh, was on this show. He beats him more by submission in figure four. Win him over Romo. Bushwhackers over Power Spain by Countout. Bravo over Neidhart. Rockers over Rujos in the marathon match. Same thing as Montreal. Rhodes over Boss Man and Warrior over Giant in less than a minute. Hmm. Andre and Warrior drew $4,456,000 gate in Sacramento on August the 7th. So let's see here. Hmm. So. They did Montreal on the 4th. Um, I don't have their, their August 5th results. Then did Chicago, then Sacramento. Not so, great. So the, the lo, it, it was the lowest capital city crowd in more than a year, and the crowd stormed the box office because of the 15-second main event. It was pretty unruly about feeling ripped off by the short main event as well. They should be grateful, like Dave said. Oh, uh, August 5th was Hartford. So Montreal, Hartford, Chicago, and Sacramento. At least it's and, gradual uh, no, and all going in the same direction, mostly. Yeah, there is that. There is that. I mean, Montreal to Hartford it, is pretty reasonable, and then at least you just keep heading west, even though it's ridiculous to keep hopping time zones like that day after day. 15-second minute event. Yeah, fans did not like those most of the time. Seems like. Los Angeles Coliseum and Toronto Skydome and both make a serious bids for WrestleMania 7. Or six, excuse me. Well, we know who wins that one. Yes, so and then Skydome. LA gets 7. Mm-hmm. And to close it out, yes. the Bobby Heenan Show on, on that primetime wrestling on August 7th was the final episode of the Bobby Heenan Show after uh, much controversy as USA Network warned it off the air. <laughs> and uh, they go out with a bang. And so let's go to the in the last Bobby Heenan show, shall we? And let's get an experience of what the, what kind of things happened on this show. Shenanigans. Wait, Chris was with a bang. Was the pun intended there? You could say that. Uh-uh. 
Lord Alfred Hayes, and this is the Lord Alfred's Buffering. Award-winning WWE Network, huh? <laughs> uh, well, then you're confused. Well, no, it's 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 the 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 web interface is kind of is kind of kludgy. It's not great. Gonna have to keep... Okay, let me skip that. Come on. All right, let's go back to Alfred. I'm Lord Alfred Hayes, and this is the Bobby Hayden Show. Bobby is the infinite orator. A man whose incredible knack of voicing the appropriate phraseology for the most acute of verbal situations has placed all other talk show hosts on a plateau of mediocrity. His eloquence is brilliant beyond compare. He is the one and only star of The Bobby Heenan Show. And now, here are Bobby's Oinkets. Number one. <laughs> Oinket number two. And Oinkat number three. And now it gives me exquisite pleasure that I may introduce Bobby Heenan. Applaud. Well, you only forgot one word, Alfred, and that is cute. But you did pretty good. Well, I'm not going to waste anybody's time or your time or my time. Alfred, send me out a guest. Okay, we're not watching the first guest. Uh, the Oinkats are the Rosati sisters. For those who have never seen that. Yes, Rosati sisters, yes. Yes, which, is this their first appearance? The, the Bobby Heenan show is the only cat? Yes. All right, so where's my timestamp for this? Okay, one sixteen thirty eight on the uh, August 7th episode of Primetime. Yeah, it's about to get a little hardcore. <laughs> All right. Please. Right ho, Bobby. Your guest at this time is a young lady who aspires to success and fame in the world of entertainment. She is an accomplished actress and a bona fide film star. It gives me pleasure, exquisite pleasure, to introduce <laughs> your guest Bobby, Heather Hunter. Heather Hunter, what a beautiful name. Blanket, thank you very much. Heather, step up here, please. So by the way, for those of you who have never seen the Bobby Heenan show, the guests are all legit. They are all real people. Of course. Yes, I think it. Yeah. Beautiful lady, please sit down. How are you? How are you doing, bye? Fine. So you're an actress. Yeah. Mm, I'll say she is. What is wrong with you? This is Jameson. Hi, Jameson. Resident moron here. <laughs> Does Jameson normally have a pillow in his lap? <laughs> I don't think so, but he knows who she is, obviously. Yeah. He's a fan of her work. Yeah. So tell me a little about what movies have you been in? Um, I've been in Trial of Tribulations of Heather Hunter. <laughs> kind of like documentary, kind yeah. of like, yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> Coming on America. I Heather saw Hunter. that with uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, Arsenio Hall, a good friend of mine. What other, <laughs> you, I imagine as, tra as attractive as you are, you don't play something like a, a child or a, a maid or a secretary. You must be the, 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 love, the lover in the movie. The other woman, maybe. I'll say. I'm usually both. <laughs> That must keep yeah, you busy. Yeah, it does. So tell me, what is it like doing a romantic scene with a man like Robert Redford? Well, I wish I knew. Really, I really Okay, well, let's I say Lawrence Olivier. The late Sir Lawrence of Olivier. <laughs> I wish I knew that, too. Lawrence of Olivier. I, I just can't imagine kissing one of these great stars and then with all the cameras and lights flashing and being able to really get involved into your work. 
It is. When you have a camera, it just sets it off. I mean, But you know the camera's there. Yeah. Now, this new movie you're in about America, is that like The Wizard of Oz? No, it's about... It's a remake <laughs> of Eddie Murphy and his senior hall movie. It's called Coming on America. Is it made... Instead of is coming it, it, to, it's coming on. Is it made by uh, D- the Disney company? No, or don't you know what she's... She, don't you know what she does? She's a movie star. She's an actress. I don't know exactly what you know she what is. kind of actress? A very pretty actress. Thank you. What? I'll tell you what she does. I know what she does. Bobby, listen to me. Just what? Huh. <laughs> I swear to her. You gotta be kidding. Uh-huh. You're... You're not... He, she's didn't... You're not... Uh, you, these movies that you're in are a little different than... They're, um, you don't see them on... Uh, we're we're going to take a little break here right now, and I'm going to find a little bit more about what kind of movies uh, she... Uh, her career... Uh, the stuff she participates... It's easy for you to say bye. No, it isn't. Be right back. Well, as you can see right here, our resident artist, Morris Katz, or Morris the Cat, as you'd like it, is painting his little heart out here. He's <laughs> finished about 37 pictures. and Morris, I want you to do something here. I want you to get a good yes. look at my, my guest here, Heather Hunter. Yes. And uh, I'll put it right here in the movie. Paint, my... paint whatever you think she would look like on canvas. Uh, but right I, now, right now. But I, do whatever here. you want to do. Here, finished. Very yeah. good, Morris. But I've got to get back here with Heather here. I can't, but I didn't know you were um, the kind of movies that, uh, super, super. I'm <laughs> glad you. to have you as a guest. Thank Are you, you. married? Yeah, no. <laughs> Your boyfriend? No. You're kidding. No. Move over here a little more. I can't hear you too well. Here. here we go. On the couch. <laughs> no, you, uh, you don't have a boyfriend. I You're not married. I don't have a boyfriend. I, I just have pets. But, pets? Yeah. Like a German shepherd? No, but like a, a rabbit. A mule? Rabbit. A rabbit. <laughs> a rabbit. A rabbit. Touch my arm. <laughs> Could I be a rabbit? I can thump. Tell me, do you have any new projects coming up? Or how, how, what made you start doing this? This, in, this intrigues the heck out of me. What made me? Wow. It was just... No, I don't, you know, we don't have time for that. But just tell me, what made you start doing this? I always decided to do this kind of business, you know. And I like doing what I do. Oh, and... Do you, do, you get, do you ever get romantic? Did he say, well, good, Jameson? Romantically <laughs> involved with uh, custom framing, presenting an original piece oh, of the beautiful. Right. This is the world's fastest painter, Morris Katz, who's been painting a, a vista throughout the show. Yes. And he is now stapling it to a frame. Heather with Bobby Heenan, uh-huh. with this distinguished gentleman. Jameson. Jameson, it's amazing. Just keep Congratulations. Paying, <laughs> now tell me now, do you, do you ever get romantically involved with any of your leading men? Or do you call them leading men? Um, no, I never have. Never have? I never have. Do you ever see him after the movie's <laughs> over with? No, never have. What are you no. getting at, We are Bobby? good friends. Yeah. Well, I, I got a right to talk to my guests and ask you some questions. <laughs> I know what you're getting at. Well, you don't know what I'm getting at. I know what you'd like to get at. Well, exactly. Could you do a love scene with this thing? I think he's cute. <laughs> cute. Thanks. See? You I get think girls he's all the cute? time, Bobby. I like his curls. I got more girls than hair. you got. Curls, your head be curly, too. I'd be in Washington in six years. <laughs> Would it be hard to, to have a love scene with this thing? No, because it's all based on acting, really. So it really. Well, I'm sorry. So really, like they say, I'd about have to a lot act of. Too, you know. 
what they say about a lot of women is true. Sometimes you can fake it. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's, it's just like any other job. It's acting. Like your wife. Really. Would you like to do a love scene with him? <laughs> Anybody got a paper bag? Somebody <laughs> 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 old joke? Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, but it would be hard to do a love scene with him. <laughs> I, I got to get more involved in your movie yeah. career. I got to get more involved in... How long does it take to make a movie? It's like a one-day wonder. One-day wonder. Yeah. There's no big production cost, probably. There's no big uh, elaborate scenery. You don't need scenery. You're probably the the scenery. What? <laughs> Touch. Oh, wow. We're back here with Morris Katz, the uh, famous painter, and got a nice uh, collection here of posies he's painted. Uh, very nice, Morris. But right now, I'm going to ask you to sit over here on the couch next to Jameson oh, because thanks, uh, I believe our next guest and you have a lot in common. Okay. Please join them over there and keep your hands to yourself. Alfred, tell me what they have in common. Right. <laughs> if all cigarette smokers were to take a leaf, from this young lady's book, when it comes to smoking, our national state of health will improve dramatically. You see, she doesn't inhale the smoke. She blows it into beautiful bubbles. Bobby, here is your guest, Jean Beckwith. Jean Beckwith. All right, so, so now I we guess? need to go to the end, ending of the show. With the end, You know what I'm talking about here? The, 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 the dancing picks? Vaguely. And we should also note, by the way, um, if you want to check out the other episodes. This is easily the best episode of the Bobby Heenan show. Yes. Um, should I save an additional note on Heather Hunter for when we finish up, or should I say it now? Uh, well, let's get to the thing here. What okay. we need to get to. Well, what time stamp am I at? Uh, uh, it should be close to the end. All right. Speaking of platter, mm-hmm. this is a nice animal. Isn't he cute? Yes, That's Dinkum. That Dinkum the platypus. Dinkum the platypus. Yes, and I was trying to make goodwill. Yeah. Uh, hi, Dinkum. Goodwill between America. Oh, Dinkum did something in yes. the case here. Yeah. No, not quite. No, he <laughs> Warren, could she dance again? No, he's Shut been up. very I'm good. I'm talking to Dinkum. This is Dinkum. That's mm-hmm. nice. And, yep. Uh, well, I'll tell you. While she's sitting here inhaling her life away, we're going to take a little <laughs> break while I play with Dinkum and he plays with his cushion. And we'll be right back. Yeah, she has a puppet or a homemade stuffed animal or something. Now we got a well, little over a minute here with left. our painter Morris and our lovely guest here, Jean Jean, the smoke machine. <laughs> and uh, she hasn't blown any smoke bubbles. I saw one during the break, but yeah. I'm sure she can come up with more I'll now. Just throw them on the rug. It doesn't matter. I will. I will. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. She's completely failing at doing the smoke bubbles. I will. She will. She's going to she's gonna keep calling back. I have another cigarette. <laughs> I have to have another cigarette here. Let me help you out here now. Thank you. Don't mention it. You got a cigarette? Let me hear it. It's in the bag here. You see, I help out my guest here. here. Yeah, good let me let a gentleman light it for you. You are a real gentleman. Alfred, do you mind? Huh? Nah, I'll get it. Real, <laughs> you couldn't do nothing. You'd set her on fire. Mm-hmm. There you go. By the way, I'm kind of shocked that we haven't had any jokes about how Alfred should be in one of Heather's movies. Come uh, on, suck on that weed. I see a bubble the size of this room. Almost had one there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not working. Almost. Well, this is right there, there, oh, there, there, we have a bubble. We have a bubble. Well, you keep. I want to see a bubble the size of this suitcase here. Oh no! Well, I guess we missed. 
We missed the dancing part. I think well, there's they, a dancing that's at the end too. I think. Hold on. Did they cut something out? No, no, Jameson mentioned it. But he said she danced so, already. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure she dances at the well, end too. Rewind. Re- yeah, rewind. I'm going back no. to where we skipped. Yeah. Because yeah. Bobby and that's funny. So it was Jameson. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, this is where Jameson's looking at the box art, too. I think it's around here where <laughs> yeah. she dances, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's looking at the Coming on America box art. <laughs> yes. Oh, come on. Fun not intended. Stupid <laughs> legacy network. See, I like it. Here's the thing. Overall, it's much better than Peacock, but the web version... I remember, like, I remember even before we had to use a VPN for it, this would happen. I have zero problem with Peacock, so... Yeah, but it doesn't have the chapters, it doesn't have the search. I don't have to refresh this again. But no, I greatly prefer having the chapters and the search and everything. Alright, come on. Is this thing actually going to play? Jesus Christ. Come on! Well, in the meantime... (laughs) Let's try this one more time, and then maybe I'll... Okay, there, now I have to skip ahead again, but let's see. Do, you, do we think it's possible they cut out Heather Hunter dancing? I mean, it's possible, but I thought I saw it on there. Because I've watched this on the net, from the network. Okay. I mean, I could check the old DDT Digest summary to see exactly when it happens. Okay. Well, there's Jameson with the box art. Most of this is Gene talking, though. Well, okay, so that's the thing. There really isn't that much that I skipped here. There was like two minutes. So, all right, let's see if there's any dialogue while he's looking at the box. Uh, and, uh, but I, I blew these little bubbles. I learned these little bubbles first from my goldfish at the University of Wisconsin. You've never had a job, have you? You must have a lot of time on your hands. Oh, yes, I Pick have. up learning this stuff. I have. I have had jobs all over the world. Made movies and everything. All Were you in the one with her? Which one? Uh, about the America, the, uh... This one. Oh, no, not quite. Oh, no, okay, no, no, okay. no, I wasn't quite in that one. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, well, I started these washing? blowing bubbles. Shall I blow the bubble first? Yes. I'd... And then I'll show you where that bubble took me, right around okay. the Okay, put this here so you don't yeah, make a mess on case. me. I'll yeah, put that's this right. Here. Good. All right. Okay, I think we ought to start with the bubbles, you know? Where'd you to smoke? Okay, it is the end of the show. They cut it out. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's a music thing or what. Well, no, they cut it out completely because, no. They, she does it. She does the lap dance to Bobby before they bring the the smoke the smoke woman on there. No, oh, the way there's two. Then I'm looking. No, she does it twice. Then. Yeah, I'm looking at DDT Digest. Only gets danced. So they cut out both. Oh yeah. Yes. Why do we think that is? It's not that. I I mean, there's nothing explicit, and it's music they would dub it right. I got it on DVD, so maybe I got it from the original airing. Oh no! Or maybe you know it, what? Oh no! Classics on demand. Classics on demand. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so, that's bullshit. I guess it, it didn't meet the uh, Peacock standards of Bradis's picks. Oh, that. But she. Uh, do you think that's why? Do you think maybe it was on the network previously? Possibly. All right. So. I decided to look up uh, Heather Hunter on the old IAFD, the Internet Adult Film Database, and I sorted by uh, chronologically, and I noticed that up to this point, all of her uh, movie films are from a company named Vidway, 
Yeah. So I had a hunch, Chris, and I Googled. Steve Hirsch. No, better. Evard Enterprises. Oh. AKA Coliseum Video. Oh, how about that, folks? <laughs> Synergy, brother. Yes, indeed. How about that? Yes. She did great here, by the way. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting to see the difference in demeanor between someone like her here and someone like your later generation uh, porn performers on, like, Howard Stern and the like. Well, she's a real actress. In that era, they kind of were, I guess. All right, let's go to Japan now, and All Japan Pro Wrestling. And we got an interesting note here to start off with. On the All Japan front, while the matches that involve the Footloose are either members of the duo within there were Jumbo Sharuda and Yoshiaki Yatsu are generally great. Almost every tag match ends with the same finish of Jumbo pinning one of the Footloose with the back suplex. Before the finish, the Footloose always gets tons of near falls on Jumbo, but in recent matches, the crowd pop hasn't been as great as it's been earlier this year. The reason is because everyone knows that neither Footloose the Footloose, will ever pin Jumbo. If it were just to happen once because of the action they provide, it would keep the feud going for another year. But that's Japanese wrestling. Yes. There, there are those guys that are not going to get pinned. Yes. You know, I have just... Um, I've been watching a lot of Japanese wrestling in chronological order, TV. And I have just finished watching the entire Riki Choshu era of all Japan, mm-hmm. he didn't do one single job. Yeah. Period. None. Zero. In what was it? Two and a half years? Or no? About uh, a little over two. A little years. over two. A little over two years. A yeah. over two years. Two and two and a quarter years. Not one single job. And you got guy. I mean, Jumbo. I, any job he did was extremely, extremely rare. If Jumbo and Tenru lost a match, it was Tenru who did the job. Well, more often than not, it was all, you know, DQ's countouts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just watched the 86 World Tag League, the finals. You remember this? The semifinals and the finals, three matches, all ended in screw job finishes and countouts. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, I mean, I don't know what Dave is expecting. I don't know if he is expecting, but I know he's saying it. But it's not going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen that way. So, but Footloose was a hell of a team mm-hmm. at that time. You know, I mean, so 1989 was an amazing year for them. So, I don't know. And just in case, since I mean, we've talked about them enough, since, but since we haven't actually mentioned their individual names or in case you're listening and you don't know, that's Toshiaki Kawada and Samson Fuyuki. Yes. Giant Bob and Gone Magazine, which have always gotten along, had a small fit. Rift, excuse me. Uh, Baba was on a call-in show, and a fan asked if the split up between Dynamite Kid and Dave Boy Smith in Canada would affect them coming in as a tag team in the future. And Baba said that the two never split, and the story in the magazines must be wrong. Gone and had to prove it. They weren't making the story up by printing a photo of them opposing one another. Uh... Imagine Giant Baba 
on what uh, I guess amounted to be a Japanese wrestling smart radio show in 1989. Because <laughs> obviously whoever's calling asking that question is somebody that's smart to the business. Well, God. Because they know that they, yeah, they know that the Bulldogs are feuding in Stampede. Well, it doesn't outright say this, but it's implied that Gong had already written something about this. Yeah. Um, here's the thing with, if you're Baba, you gotta remember the two, the two most beautiful words in pro wrestling, contractual obligations. Yeah. If it, you would say that, yeah. or also just say, I'm not, I'm not aware of this. Just say that. Yeah. But, uh... uh <laughs> Boy, I'm just, I'm just imagining this uh, call-in show. When is Rip Rogers coming back? Probably one of the questions. Uh, well, January 90 is when him and Baba had their singles match. That's what I'm saying. No, that would be one of the questions. Since Oh, when is he coming back? Oh, yeah. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. August 3rd at the Tory Industrial Gym. The Russians are in town, folks. Black Cat over Osama Matsuda. Shinshi Sasazaki over here, Kazuhata. Kentaro Hoshino and Osamu Kido over Kunia Kobayashi and Norionaga. Masasaito over Mark Haft. Who? Dick Murdoch over Evgeny Artikin. Akira Nagami and Okisano went to a double count with Hiroshi Hase and Takuki Azuka. Jushin Thunder Liger, King Okuma, Riki Choshu defeated the six man tag team of Big Van Vader, Buzz Sawyer, and Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. Good lord. George Takano over Timur Zarazov. Vladimir Berkovich over Tess Toshigoto. Victor Zangiev over Shiro Koshinaka. Shin Yashimoto over Waka Ebelev. And Salman Hashimakov over Super Strong Machine. So who's Mark Hatt? He was a guy that was a, like an amateur wrestler guy. Okay, so he's grouped with the Americans in the World Cup kind of st- thing they were doing at the time. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. if I remember right, Nagami and Sano versus Hase and Izuka is the match that ends with Nagami doing the insane dive that takes him and Izuka over the rail. Yeah. Hell of a match. I have no idea if it's online anywhere, which is one of the best dives you'll ever see. And it fit as a finish, too. Yeah. All right, Riki Choshi and Takuki Izuka kept the IWGP tag titles along with Stiff and Nagoya in front of 8200. Beating Shin Yashimoto and Akira Nagami. It was originally to be a Fujinami team with Nagami. However, Fujinami has now disappeared from the New Japan wrestling scene. If I'm not mistaken, this is some injury issues. All right, uh, Black Cat over here, Kazuhata. King of Kamura, Osama Matsuda over Norinaga and Osama Kido. Noki Sano, Shoko Shinako over Hiroshi Hase and Kuriakobayashi. George Takano, Super Strong Machine over Masaino and Tastoshi Goto. Jushin Liger over Katara Hoshino. Timur Zalazov over Manny Fernandez. Tick Murdoch over Vladimir Berkovich. Salman Hashmakov over Mark Haft. Big Van Vader over Waka Evelev. Buzz Sawyer over Victor Zangiev. And Riki Choshu and Taki Kazuka over Kira Nagami and Shin Yashimoto to retain the IWGP tag titles. I had completely forgotten that Azuka held the belts this early. Yep. He's only three years in. And if I'm not mistaken... I think I have this show on handheld. Okay. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to. Uh, this was not a TV taping. Mm, I think it was, but I think it was a handheld too. Okay. Uh, I do. All right. So, 
Black Cat Hot, I bet in your basic each man style match. That's special. Uh, ba ba ba. The tab match, fun little match. Um, Koshinaka and Sano, uh, really good house show match. Stream four, the best workers in the company. Strong Machine, Takano, Rigoto, and Saito. Okay, match. Liger, Hoshino. Oh, yeah. This match was fucking awesome as Hoshino dominated the IWGB Junior Heavyweight Champion, demanded a shot after the match. Was Liger got on the mic and said to him that riled the fans up. Hoshino was fucking choice in this. Yes. 1989, Katoro Hoshino. So. Him and Liger kicked ass. Mike <laughs> Half was um, this is part of the USA USSR series, so he's on Team USA. Yeah, they're 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 doing the amateur stuff because Buzz Sawyer's wearing a singlet and wrestling shoes. So it's Manny, Buzz, isn't Manny, it? yeah, Buzz Manny Murdoch Sawyer Half and Vader. Uh, Zarazov Manny, interesting, not special. Murdoch Berkovich, Murdoch was great. Uh, Hashmakov half. Uh, Hashmakov just brutalized him with strength. Half walked away from a handshake afterwards. Vader crushed Evaloff. Sawyer and Zangiev was, was a hell of a match. Best match of the show, basically. Best match of the series, on so to speak. With the fans chanting Sawyer. And um, the tag match was good, but it went five minutes too long. So, yes. Yes, I remember getting this handheld from a uh, certain tape dealer from Western Pennsylvania. So there you go. Oh, that one. And uh, for the record, love this name. The tour is the Bloody Fight Series. Yes. Yeah. All right, New Japan's Jushin Ryger is starting to get over big time with the kids, mm-hmm. which was the goal in the first place, to create a new Satoru Sayama. His work is incredible as well as he's having four star plus matches, even with the likes of Shinji Sasaki, who Dave never thought much of when he was in Stampede or Memphis, but he's now having awesome matches. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Yamada's fantastic. Always was. Riger, you mean? <laughs> yes. Well, it's 1989, uh, uh, and, so. Yeah. And Toyo Noki's first day in Japanese Parliament was August the 7th. Yeah. Nothing would happen out of that. <laughs> all right, all Japan women. They've created a new Bayface tag team called the Sweethearts of Mima Shimoda and Manami Toyota, who be getting a push from this point forward. The Sweethearts. Quite a name. Yeah, they always had interesting names in all Japan women. Um, okay, by the way, real quick, um, you won't hear the audio because of what browser I opened it in, but. I did pull up that dive on Google Drive, and it's even better than I remember it <laughs> So I just want to get your reaction of seeing it again. Hold on. I lost track of Skype. What? There we go. So he's on the top rope. Poncho. Jesus. Yeah. He almost folds him up going over the rail. Yeah. And he, I think they were fine, but it looks spectacular. Like, it looks like a legit double count out. In a yeah. way that that kind of thing doesn't always. Yeah. All right, this is eighty show. Let's stay international and go to Canada. Stampede. Instead of weekly television tapings of the Calgary House shows that have been done in the past, they're now taping every third week in different arenas and doing three hours of television. So you won't be seeing as many main event matches on TV and more squash matches. That's not good. This promotion wants to do a live TSN special sometime in the winter. Don't think that ever happened. Mm-mm. All right, Calgary. On August 4th, 
Kerry Brown and Bulldog Bob Brown defeated the Hunter and the Warrior by disqualification. That is, uh, Dale Veazey and who? Bob Brown, I guess, is in, is in so there. So it is I the guess. other Hunter, presumably? I guess. One of them's definitely Bob Brown. Non-Bulldog right, Bob Brown. Yeah. Yes, which is funny. Uh, North American Heavyweight Champion Larry Cameron retained over Biff Wellington. Goldie Rogers over Ken Johnson. Jonathan Holiday went to a draw with Kim Shaw. Johnny Smith over Sumuhara. Dynamite Kid won a street fight over Owen Hart by countout. And then British Come Women Heavyweight title, Gama Singh over Chris Benoit to win the championship. And this is the Dynamite Evan- Owen street fight that's on the home video, I think? I guess. I guess. Edmonton on August the 5th. Sumuhara pinned Jonathan Holiday with Norman Light Suplex, two, two stars. Uh, star rings by Trent Walters. Uh, Johnny Smith over Kim Shaw with a pile driver, one star. Larry Cameron over Biff Wellington, one star. Maximum Overdrive over Goldie Rogers and Bulldog Bob Brown, generally described as a dud. Overdrive, very green. Gamma Singh over Chris Benoit by DQ in the two out of three falls match, where Benoit got caught throwing Gamma over the top rope after Gamma had repeatedly done the same to Benoit, three and a half stars. And Johnny Smith over one horror by DQ, and Owen got the object from Johnny, but got, got caught using it three stars. Oh, more Eddie Sharky guys are in the territory? I'm sure that's going to end well, and that they're going to be here for a long time. <laughs> yes. They're not there long. Yes, for more on uh, that, patreon.com slash between the sheets, death of the AWA, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Owen Hart, at least for Japan in about a week, is acknowledging the program that Owen had been wrestling for the WF, but didn't say it's the Blue Blazer. On television, they said when Owen first returned, he had a contract with the Wrestling Federation in New York. And they wouldn't allow him to wrestle at Calgary on July 28th. I guess Dynamite, but said he would anyway. And this apparently is going to lead to a worldwide suspension for four weeks to explain his tour of Japan. As of right now, it looks like the chances of Owen returning to Titan in the imminent future are very slim. Yeah, I'd say so. Here's how bad a booker Dynamite is. He can't even come up with a convincing suspension. <laughs> a worldwide suspension. So, wait, wait, wait. wait. It, 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 the storyline is that he has a contract with the WWF. They're telling him for some reason that he can't wrestle this one specific match, but he is anyway, and that's why he's getting suspended worldwide for four weeks? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Dynamite had exactly one idea, which was splitting up the Bulldogs. And that wasn't even the best idea in the first place. Pretty much. Mexico, EMLL, Arena Coliseo on August the 4th. <laughs> I love that this is credited to the date dealer in Western Pennsylvania's tape list. That's the credit for the results. La uh, Monster, Maria Danenhel, Montevillobos uh, went up against Atenas. Irma Aguilar and Lola Gonzalez. Blue Panther, Emilio Chavez Jr., Hombre Bala, defeated Blue Demon Jr., Hombre Sinombre, and Javier Cruz, a Monarca, by DQ. Panther fouled Hombre Sinombre, the not-yet-named Mascara Sagrada. So that means what? He already has the outfit, but they were doing a name contest or something? Well, he had been Mahiko, so, yes, I don't know. Something weird. Destroyer, Fabuloso Blondie, and Rick Patterson uh, went up against uh, Los Hermanos Dinamitas, Cien Caras, Los Caños de Mil, and Universo de Mil. And then Elanti, Zadandi, and El Faraón went up against the Infernales, Masacre, MC Uno, and Satanico. Hmm. 
Okay, I'm curious, though. Since obviously there's video of this show, and I guess just no one got around to it yet, why do we have the results on one match? If Probably it because it was on YouTube. Probably oh, was on okay, YouTube. that makes sense. Yes. I mean, I can get your results. I know I've watched this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let me go to. Let me go find that one real quick. Uh, oh. Let's see. As I go to the '80s Project Graveyard, which I use a lot. Thank God that's still up on Pro Wrestling Only. Although we lost the Smoky Mountain. Uh, an ECW versions of that form, which sucks. Hmm. All right, uh, let's see here. Hombre sin nombre. Let's check. Okay. Oh, okay, and I checked Luchawiki. Yes, Mascara Sagrada was known as Mahiko until CMLL had a, held a contest in the magazines for fans to pick a better name for him. And Antonio Pena ended up creating the Sagrada gimmick. All right. Uh, Mahiko. I'm curious if there are any pictures because, of him then as Mahiko or Ombre. I used I, I well I use Mahiko in my description, but I don't have this on here for some reason. I can't find it. I thought I may well I should may not have. I don't know. I just watched the week after uh, this show. Uh the day for we record this. Alright, um Puerto Rico and WC. Carlos Colon's return after shoulder surgery suffered the hand of Steve Strong, Steve Salvo. Took place on August the 5th in San Juan and won the baseball stadium and drawing 10,000 fans with all tickets being $5. And guess who won the Buckhouse Stampede main event on that show? How'd you guess? <laughs> we don't have results, but of course it was Carlos. Okay, Lucha Wiki actually has a, a picture of the magazine thing. Um, let me send you the link because your Spanish is better than mine to be able to get this, at least get the gist of it off the top of your head. But it has a picture of him. He did already have that mask as uh, Mahiko. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was the same guy. I'm not sure if I had ever seen any Mahiko stuff. That's why. Yeah. So it says it's, I mean, it's a, because of yeah. administrative problems. And he's wearing white. Yes. He's wearing the gear. Yeah. But he needs a new yeah, name because weird. of administrative problems. So what does the rest of this say? Um, I, I think so they had like somebody may have had a trademark or some shit. Or somebody mm -hmm. may already use name. It was some funky shit. All right. On that August 5th show, Rip Rogers and Abuda Dean, Abadu Dabian, won the Caribbean tag titles from Uraca Castillo Jr. and Miguelito Perez, Puerto Rican Express. They, the Puerto Rican Express remains the WFC World Tag Champions, though, having earlier beaten Abuda Dean and Rip Rogers. <laughs> They're feeding for all the belts. On August 4th, in Caguas. Sir Medico, Jose Estrada, paying Chiqui Star to retain the WC Junior Heavyweight title. And WFC's trying to bring in some wrestlers from Stampede Wrestling for anniversary show in September, but it's doubtful that Dave Boy Smith will be back in action by then. Owen Hart will be in Japan. So the only one with name recognition would be Dynamite Kid. And he don't go either. Um, so. Okay, actually using the live text feature on my Mac, I was able to copy and paste most of it into Google Translate. So here's what it says. Put a name on the mask. Due to administrative problems, Mahiko must change his name. Earn a million pesos. All you have to do is cut the logo of the wrestling magazine and send it an envelope with your names chosen or invented to, and then they give the address. Uh, and yeah. So that what would a million pesos have been in at that time? I know it's not that much. Well, what is it now even? Oh shit! I don't fucking know. Um. Right now, it's almost 50 grand. How about that? But anyway, 
All right, uh, that's it for the first half of the show's halftime. So it's a great 1989 commercials. We'll come back and we'll uh, talk about Patreon, of course. We'll plug the other things we got going on. And then we'll have uh, U.S. Indies to talk about. We have uh, news on Florida Championship Wrestling. We got the return of Rock and Roll Express in Memphis. Ronnie P. Gossett and the Master of Pain. And a whole lot more. All that and more after the break. From Walt Disney Pictures, it's called the last great frontier on Earth, Africa. Now, out of this land of mystery comes the rescue of a lifetime. Duma! The story of a magnificent wild cheetah who's been taken from her home and two young Americans who will stop at nothing to save her. It's an unforgettable adventure in the great Disney tradition. Walt Disney Pictures' Cheetah, rated G, starts Friday, August 18th at a theater near you. Oh, Cinderella can't go to the ball. She's dressed in a droopy diaper that feels all wet. Abracadabra, Cinderella. Kleenex Huggies Super Trim Diapers will sweep you off your feet. Only Huggies has the blue inner layer that helps funnel wetness into the padding and holds it away for unbeatable dryness. Plus a softly padded waistband. Ah, Cinderella's wearing Huggies now, and she's having a ball. Huggies, happily ever after. me all over the place today sure feels good to put on Hanes like my dad says Hanes underwear has the comfort you want after a rough game he ought to know he's Steve Largent he plays for the Seattle Seahawks and he wears Hanes too only bigger now you're wearing what you I was taking a bath Long about a Saturday night Club dub got a clog in my tub Reach for Drano Wait, it's new fresh scent Drano In the new blue bottle It clears and deodorizes too Now Drano's better than ever Poured in new fresh scent liquid Drano Soon that clog was old news Drano's dynamite unclogs And now my drain is fresh too New fresh scent Drano Clears and deodorizes Now it's better than ever Put a Taste your love with all your heart. Close your eyes and taste this. Introducing Promise Extra Life Spread. With half the saturated fat, salt, and calories of regular margarine. Without cholesterol, without sacrificing taste. So enjoy it with a passion. New Promise Extra Life. Oh, man, on the field, I'm either tossing passes or I'm getting crushed. So off the field, give me the fit and feel of Hanes underwear. You know, nothing's ever going to help me forget the licks I took. But Hanes gives me something no linebacker ever will. Comfort. Real comfort. This awful itch. Won't anything stop it fast? Lanocaine will. Lanocaine shuts off the itch like a switch instantly. Look, Benadryl can't. Cortade can't. Hydrocortisones can't. Only Lanocaine cream actually quiets the itch nerves that cause every itch instantly on contact. So for the fastest relief of every itch, every itch, get Lanocaine. Lanocaine does shut off the itch. 
like a switch, instantly. It's forcing Colton closer to the edge. When are you going to start acting like my wife? You're trying to get yourself killed. Are you referring to Mr. Marie? Absolutely. You pushed him right to the limit tonight. I'm not a fool. And I am not going to live like this anymore. General Hospital. Colton, it's not true. I love you. All my children will continue in a moment. He's America's number one villain tomorrow, Freddy Krueger, on his next nightmarish adventure. Also, daytime soap star Jean Leclerc on Good Morning America tomorrow. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1989 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We're talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And, of course, the latest Patreon show went up uh, a few days ago, pretty much a week ago now. And, uh, yes, Titan Gate's over with, folks. Four parts of Titan Gate. We got it done. And everything's up there. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. Five dollars a month. So you can go back in time 30 years to uh, listen to all the controversy going on. Vince McMahon, the World Wrestling Federation, back then. As uh, he's been removed from power, so to speak, 30 years later. So uh, a time warp back then to to, uh, to go through that. And, it's you know, it's interesting I was just watching in the uh, episode of Championship Wrestling from July 6, 1985, which is the week after the Terry Funk Mel Phillips angle. And uh, on commentary, Vince and Bruno talk about Mel Phillips. And Bruno's on there talking about so how, he thought it was despicable what happened to Mel Phillips and how you wish Mel Phillips well and all that stuff. And it, just, it was funny to me because of what all, all the stuff Bruno was saying during all the Titan Gate stuff about Mel Phillips. <laughs> well, it was Bruno the character. <laughs> sure. So, um... He was doing a character, like Mr. Honest. Yeah. But, yeah, so, four parts, very extensive, tremendous stuff, so everybody go check that out. Provide all a month, and in the month of August, we'll be doing uh, part one of two. Yes, we'll be a two-part show looking at the the um, negotiations between WCW and SFX in the year 2000. Well, it's really – it's I wouldn't call it an SFX show because the SFX stuff isn't that much. It's really more SFX Mandalay. into Mandalay, into WWE, back into Mandalay, into Fusion, Fusion I should say. Well, it, it, yeah, pretty much. It's everything before the show we did last year. Yes, there's going to be a little bit of overlap because I included a little bit of stuff from November just to set the table on the show we did last year. But obviously it has to be in context on this show. But, you know, we got plenty of stuff from the trades. We've got from all three newsletters. We've got, unsurprisingly, given the story we're talking about and the things we've learned from looking at their coverage, long periods of time where the Torch has coverage of what's going on and the Observer just doesn't. 
Plus, we've got some figure four. We've got a little bit of Atlanta Journal-Constitution just for you. We've got some Rick Ruda. Uh, I almost said Rick Ruto. Rick Russo uh, with his syndicated Knight Ritter Tribune uh, News Service column. So a lot of nice variety that you know, fits in for people who like the, you know, the WCW sale shows, the ECW shows, etc. I think it fits in nicely with all of those. And yeah, two parts, at least the notes, are about the same length for each. So that's coming for August and uh, September. All right, so you folks know what's ahead. Five dollars a month to get that uh, audio on patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to uh, the Discord. Thanks in this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. And uh, a lot of people have been doing that and are going to be doing it more in the future. So get on that, folks. If you want uh, us to talk about something that uh, you want us to, uh, yeah, we haven't talked about yet or something that, you know, just whatever. Just, um, uh, have two shows in your mind, possibly, if, if, if you can. Uh, get with us on if your show's available. I've, in fact, I've been dealing with uh, one of our patrons lately. Uh, he's trying to figure out what show he wants to uh, do, and uh, a couple of ideas he had, people's already picked. So, again, you know, if, if you have any questions, and let us know, and we can try to help you the best we can. So, um, yeah, so we want you to uh, be able to have your show talked about that you want to want us to do and uh you remember 10 year rules in effect 30 day rules in effect wednesday to tuesday all that stuff that uh, is on the patreon website to all the protocol there to uh, get your show taken care of 50 dollars allows you to sit in the first segment of that show if you choose and 100 for the whole show if you choose at patreon.com slash between the sheets all right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, we've got 10, I believe. So we would like to thank... Let me make sure... Ty Dillinger? 10, 10, 10. Oh, <laughs> oh Mazel Tov to him, by the way. Yeah, Sean Spears and uh, Cassie. Mazel Tov to them for... Uh, they're uh, expecting a, a child in the near future. So uh, good, good, good on them. Yeah. All right, so we would like to thank, let me make sure I've got this name right, Rick uh, Ferrarisi. It's it's Ferrar and then ESI, so I'm trying. Thanks, Rick. Then we have all caps R-W-O-B. Thanks, R-W-O-B. Ultrafan. Thanks, Ultrafan. The returning Brandy Jeffries. Thanks, Brandy. She's a fine girl. Okay. Uh, J.S. Clyde. Thanks, J.S. Returning Gareth Elton. Thanks, Gareth. Uh, noticed, bleh, noted basketball coach Patrick Riley. <laughs> yes, thank you, Patrick Riley. Uh, the returning uh, Andrew Lutsky. Thanks, Andrew. EVH5150. Thanks, EVH5150. And I believe another returning patron in Nick P. Thanks, Nick. That's it for this week. Oh, oh, that's it? Okay, well, there we go. I said and. You didn't say? Yes. Oh, I didn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, usually you say, and we close with. So I wasn't uh, expecting that. So there you go. But so anyway, we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have uh, been there from the beginning. Come along the way. 
or just joining up with us now, we thank all of you for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, fix IWTV. Uh, SCI has now happened as we're uh, doing this. So they're off the books. But what else has uh, caught your eye on IWTV for this week? Well, it's happened by the time this comes out. It's not happened as we were recording this. We were recording well, this about an hour, an hour before I, the uh, TWE show. Yes, Bix, I know that. But I'm saying the people are listening to this. It's over by then. Yes, that. yes, 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 of course. Um, not really much in the way of live streams this coming week. Uh, well, like, shit. I mean, look at all the shows that's been going on. Yes. It's, it's good to have a week off, I guess. Yes. Uh, obviously, there's going to be wrestling open on Thursday. As there is every week, and on Saturday at eight Eastern, there's going to be a freelance underground show. And let me see, any no outside names, and not not really any of the bigger freelance names on this show, other than I guess uh, Gary J would be probably the biggest name on this one. But yeah, looks like a fun show. They usually put on, you know, easy to watch shows. So that's that, and. Let me go to my other tab. Guess we should talk about VOD a bit then. Um, I have not watched it yet, but we have a new uh, The Life of. You know, what? It, what's the best word to use? Produced, directed by both our dear friend John Philip Avage? Yes. Yes, this one featuring uh, my fellow uh, New York City resident, Masha Slamovich. Yes. That should be interesting, especially as she is one of the, you know, very top indie wrestlers, regardless of gender, right now. And getting a big push on Impact TV, with the mm-hmm. thumbnail even uh, having her in her Impact guys with the eye makeup and the faux hawk and stuff. So, curious to check that out. Um, I know, I'm, I'd be shocked if it just if it featured a lot of her and Akira being lovey-dovey, because... They're, they're not like that at all. Wink, wink. Uh, anyway, the the other big additions on uh, VOD this week, besides the recent live streams, you know, like the AIW Bill Alfonso Hardcore Tournament and all that, uh, would be some uh, archival AIW and CZW. So I guess just pick something at random here from one from each, I guess. Uh, let's see what we've got here. AIW, we've got Uprise from August 08, so 14 years ago. Eh, some interesting stuff on here. It was a main event of uh, Raymond Rowe, which is Ivar or Eric? I always forget. I always Eric. Forget which is, but it's, it's, you know, Rowe from, Ray, Ray War, Rowe. from War Machine and War Raiders, Fighting Raiders, etc. Versus Loki. That's not a match I would have thought of, but is intriguing. And uh, anyone else as far as more familiar names on this show? Well, John Thorne is wrestling in a tag match, teaming with Vincent Nothing against the uh, the Sweet Dude Club of Chris Cronus and Marion Fontaine. So there's that in this uh, earlier AIW. And of course, the Duke is on the show, because of course he is. And Dave the Potato is in a tag match. Let me see, if there anything a little more recent up here? Yeah, there's a 2010 show as well... The World is Not Enough, featuring uh, Johnny Gargano versus Trick Davis, Shima Zion, a.k.a. DJZ, a.k.a. Joaquin Wilde versus Samurai Del Sol, Aeroform taking on Colin Delaney and Jimmy Olsen, 
the future Corey Gray, Sterling, Sterling James Keenan versus Facade, and more. <laughs> that one, I, it probably has a little bit more of a appeal to current fans. Oh, and Cloudy versus uh, Dalton Castle as well. So that looks like a fun show. And CZW, we've got a bunch. Let me see what years we've got here. Uh, I will go with the 2007 show. So we've got Dishonorable Conduct from uh, Philly. So I presume that's the 2300 arena. And that includes, let's see, what do we have here? Team Andrew, which was, wait, Drew Gulak and, oh, who was the other one? <coughs> I don't remember. Oh, I always forget who that was. Against Chuck Taylor and Cheech, uh, Scotty Vortex versus Cloudy in a ladder match, uh, Brain Damage versus, oh, the match that has become a meme because of the pre-match graphic, I guess. Uh, brain Damage versus Drake Younger in a barbed wire board Panes of Glass, uh, Carpet Strips, Falls Count Anywhere Deathmatch. So yes, Drake Younger versus Brain Damage. Yeah. The wrestler They know each damage. other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Danny Havoc versus uh, Die Hard Dustin Lee, uh, Ruckus versus Homicide. So makes a different kind of stuff on that card. Ricochet in action against Eric Frazier. So that's those are some of your main archival... Uh, Editions on IWTV this week for people to check out, as well as you know, like I said, the uh, AIW show from last week at what, what were they calling it? Great Lakes WrestleFest was the uh, larger event that had the live podcasts and stuff. Some about that, yeah. Featuring uh, friends of the show like Joe Sposto doing at odds with wrestling, Pod Van Dam, etc. So that's on there as well. And if you're not already a subscriber. Use code BTSPOD, and we will get our uh, referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's code BTSPOD if you sign up at independentwrestling.tv. And another way to support us is Private Internet Access. Today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mag. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you could take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. All right, let's go down the list, shall we? You can start off with a monthly plan of eleven ninety five a month. You can go with a yearly plan of $3.33 a month, $39.95 a year. Or you could take advantage of their best deal, 83% off, three years Plus four free months for a dollar ninety-eight a month, or equals up to seventy-nine dollars for three years. All this covered by their thirty-day money-back guarantee. Amazing deals, folks. Amazing. So, how do you get this deal? Well, this is the way you get it is you go to privateinternetaccess.com/slash/twinsheets because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. 
And like we said, you can take advantage of that 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. Not just turn for a full refund. So again, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Try out the best damn VPN on the planet, completely risk-free. All right, next week up between the sheets, the Patreon request a show with Greg Sirota uh, requesting the show, and he wants us to go back to 1988. Yes, and I did check with him. Um, he was not wanting to do international. I'm still not sure why the I didn't have the uh, section he wanted to do written down, but I sent him the notes, and he's going to get back to me about it. I think he said he would pro- was probably going to want to do WWF. Okay. Well, there's that. All right, so um, anyway, on the show, we'll have... Uh, we talked about, inter- about international just then. We got a big UWF show that happened during our week. We also have a uh, Antonio Nokia testing Fujinami going to a sixty-minute draw. So we'll uh, talk about that. Jim Car Promotions, lots of stuff on a potential sale to Turner. So we'll have that and um, some Matt Watch stuff involved in there. A lot of turmoil in the company, comings and goings, possible people leaving, some leaving, who may be coming in. So we'll have that. Plus, we got some clips to talk about. Always good stuff. We got all the other international to talk about. We got uh, Continental. And Dave talking about watching uh, a month's worth of Continental TV. His thoughts on that. Plus, we'll have some clips, including Burhead Jones and Mr. Alan Martin to talk about. We got Memphis, where Brickhouse Brown has quite the day on Memphis television. So we'll talk about that. Windy City Wrestling. We got some more class to talk about. We got some other things. And uh, in the WWF, we got SummerSlam coming up. So we'll talk about that, uh, what might happen. We got WWF making a debut in a Crockett Stronghold City and not doing very well. We got other house show results. We got Jimmy Hart on Brother Love and Hulk Hogan, Mike Tyson. What the hell is going to happen here? All that more next week on Between the Sheets. I have a question. Is the Brickhouse Brown thing the thing I'm thinking of? It's uh, a sort of angle that may be of questionable taste, or no? Yes, it's that. Okay, so it's it's his turn. Okay. Yeah, it's his swan song in the stud stable. Oh boy. Well. (laughs) Well. So yeah, that'd be quite the segment to play next week on between the sheets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For those of you who have never seen, I'm not going to give it away, but. uh, Let's just say that when uh, they did it in the Nation of Domination with. The Rock as Robert Fuller and Farouk as Brickhouse Brown. It was handled very differently. Yes. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, what's going on in your world this week, Bix? Well, you know, fan fight still exists for another month. So I've got some stuff there already out. I have the... I think I mentioned that I was going to be doing this, a story kind of looking at, you know, why previous things didn't stick to Vince McMahon and why the Wall Street Journal stuff is. And actually, you know, within however many weeks, you know, actually got rid of him as far as we can tell. And, you know, looking at, you know, some of the stuff, you know, we talked about on the Patreon shows about why things weren't sticking, media priorities, the wrestling newsletters crying out that, all the different scandals shouldn't be mixed up, etc. Plus, uh, sort of a scoop in there, something I think I may have alluded to vaguely before, about how, uh, I won't get into details or read the article, but how the New York Times did 
tried to do a Vince McMahon Me Too article a few years ago and why it didn't happen. So that's in there. And I should have, if it's not out by now, it'll probably be up in the next couple days, finally doing a evergreen thing I had been putting off, which is basically examining all the time Sting was turned on in WCW and trying to determine whether or not he actually deserves his uh, reputation as the dumbest babyface in wrestling. <laughs> He's been turned on a lot over, yeah, but, the, over his career. I mean, here's what I'll say, though, and we've talked about this a little, like when we talk about how much we love the 95-96 Luger stuff. The way that people remember some of these angles based on how, like, the climactic angle happened is not necessarily how the story progression actually went. You know, and particularly with uh, the Horseman thing in, the, in 1990. But, so I'll get yeah. into that and how he's not actually an idiot in that situation at all, but then you have other things where he is clearly an idiot, like when Luger turns on him in 91. So that is coming within the next couple days at most, I would think, if it's not already up at FanFight. And then should have one or two other things with them this month before uh, FanFight uh, ceases, uh, ceases doing new content. Fanbyte will still exist for video games and stuff, but not Fanbyte as far as new stuff. So that's that. All right. Well, that is it for this segment. So let's get back to the rest of the show. Well, let's go to the U.S. indie scene now, or in the territories, however you want to call this uh, interesting time period here in the late 80s, early 90s. And let's start with uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. Even though Gordon Sully still owns 13% of Florida Championship Wrestling, he know, is no longer doing a telecast and has been replaced temporarily by Sir Oliver Humperdinck until a new announcer can be found. Was old is new again because it's the same thing that happened two years earlier when Crockett, you know, was deep into uh, the Championship Wrestling for Florida and Sully left and Humperdinck replaced him then as an oh. announcer. And also not with Humperdinck, but something similar happened early on with Global, too. Because he was involved very briefly at the beginning, right? Global. Florida. Stop oh, oh, Florida. oh, that one. That, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very brief. Yeah. And then they buried him on TV and called him an alcoholic. Yeah. That did but not this happen is because, here. Well, yeah, but, but this is because he's with the NWA now. Yes. So, of course, he's not going to be doing... Regular television. Yeah, you know, he still doing, owns part of it. Yeah, he's doing the Wrestling News Network. Which this time is actually the Wrestling News Network, talking about everything that's going on around the world. In other promotions. Yeah. Yes. In fact, one thing we're going to talk about in just a few minutes that he talked about on the air. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to it. All right, uh, August 6th in Orlando, drew 108 fans as Tim Parker, Powerhouse Parker, beat Rock Hard Rick. No, he's not a porn star. Mike Awesome over Dennis Knight. Lance Russell's friend, Tex Salinger. Tex Lassinger. Nick Busick over the Coconut Kid. Comrade Busick here. Uh, Brett Sawyer beat Blade of the Star Riders. And Kendall Wyndham and Hochi Wynn defeated uh, Al Perez and Steve Kern when Humperdinck hit Perez with a loaded sock. Hochi Wynn is Tarzan Gota. No match better than one star. Most matches were a lot worse than that. Yeah, this promotion, once Dusty left, fell off a cliff. I mean, and I I enjoyed 
the dusty era. I thought it was fun. The TV was fun. You got a, you know, an interesting mix of talent. Dusty back in Florida doing dusty things. He he's kind of refreshed in a way, and then he leaves, and it's just not the same. Not Tarzan go to, or as uh, Lance Russell would call him, Tarzan go to. Um, is he still on excursion, or is this him moving to the states to be with Tespina Montaga? This is him moving to the states. Okay, basically, because I mean he's. He's in the United States, you know, I mean, well, not, he's not in Japan for pretty much, you know, the last half of the 80s, so to speak. He doesn't really go back as a regular in Japan until FMW. And they were still married at that point, though, right? Um, You know, her brother listens to this show, and uh, he probably could answer that question better than me, yes. I think you've brought that up once before, but I keep forgetting that. Yeah, Philip. Excuse and um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know the timeline on that. So, but yeah, I mean, he was in the United States a, a good bit in the uh, late '80s, and then FMW comes and he just has a, you know, a uh, renaissance in Japan, becoming a top star. All right, let's go to Jarrett Promotions. First off, CWA Memphis. August 4th, Memphis Television saw the return of the Rock and Roll Express. Now, this is an interesting thing that happened here. The previous week, they had a Battle Royal in the main event. This is Memphis Television, of course. They could not finish the Battle Royal in time before the show ended. Uh-huh. So what do they do? They start with the next week with the same with the guys in the ring that was in there when the end of the show and restart the match. So let's go to the end of the Battle Royal here on the second week, where um, it's down to Wildside, Chris Champion, and Mark Starr, and Ricky Morton. That bullshit! Or is it? I mean, they're, they've got a two-on-one advantage. But... To know that he survived three against one, and now he's got a chance to win it. Only Chris Champion left to defeat, but boy, that's a tall order in itself. Chris Champion... Almost jumped over the rope. Rick Morton just about got him over the rope. Look out. Here comes Mark Starr from outside. He grabs a chair. That's going to do it. It's a disqualification. Rick Morton is going to be the winner of the 21-man battle royal. I see you, Mark. Carry a chair in there. You've been eliminated. You were out of it. Rick Morton is going to win by disqualification, but now champion and Mark Starr Working him over the man. Oh, they've got him cut up. When Starr hit him with that chair in the top of the head, it popped his forehead open. And now Champion and Starr working on him. Come on. The match is over. The wild side, upset that they lost, or were about to lose, it looked like, as it looked like Rick had Chris Champion almost dumped over the top rope. And Mark Starr comes in. Here comes Robert Gibson, the other half of the Rock and Roll Express. In here with a couple of boards. He's using one. Rick Morton's got the other one. And they have just cleaned out the ring. The wild side. Oh, Rick Morton nails it. Here's Robert. Robert, can you say something, Dave? Maybe no more two-on-one. 
rock and roll expression together now. Let me tell you something, brother. Come here, Ricky. Look at Like I said, David, no more one on two on one. It's going to be both of us together. Let me tell you something. And Eddie Marlin here? Yeah, he's here. Eddie Marlin, bring yourself out here, please. What do you do, brother? Hey, they don't, they don't use this kind of stuff. Well, let me tell you something, Well, Ever since I've been here by myself, it's always been two or three or one. But let me tell you, but now it's not going to be like that. Because like brother said, Rock and Roll Express is here, and we're here to stay. Will you see me? You see Robert. And will you see Robert? You see myself. That's good, brother. Hey, I tell you what, I see what just happened here. I just got back in the territory. I want to say one thing. I want to match these guys here, me and Ricky, against two on two. Eddie, we know what they want. We know. We're not playing no head games with nobody, brother. Do you somebody. want to come down and make yourself a big reputation at the expense of the Rock and Roll Express? Just because you are the CWA Tag Team Champions, well, brother, you're going to be long-lived if you keep messing, messing with us, Jack. And we want a match, Eddie. That's hey, what wait, we want. You, you guys have already got a match, you know. Got a match. It don't matter. It don't matter. We want another one. We want to get some... Well, if I sign another match, y'all would have to wrestle twice. So. Look at my head, Eddie. It don't matter. We got to wrestle 20 times. I don't long. care. We can go all we can night long. I see you now the ring, too, baby. Let's well, tell you if that. they want the match, I'll be glad to sign it. So don't be Rock and Roll Express against the Wild Side. All right, Robert. Yeah, Robert says not going to be any more of this two against one. When you run into one of the Rock and Roll Express, you're going to run into both of them. We'll be back in just a moment. Pause. It's the 1989 and the Rock and Roll Express such a weird year because Morton starts out the year as a heel, well, turns heel in Memphis um, with the whole Dutch Lawler thing where he's the referee, turns on Lawler. Then they do a thing where Lawler brings in Robert Gibson to be his partner against Morton and Dutch. Robert turns on Lawler. Robert and Ricky are heel in Rock and Roll Express for like a week or two. Then both of them leave. Um, or Ricky leaves later than Robert does because Ricky uh, is actually the linchpin for Master Payne coming in because he's his friend from Atlanta Prison. Um, Ricky comes back as a babyface in this bar here. Then Robert comes in right here. They stay together here for maybe a month or two, Robert leaves again, and then Ricky and Todd Morton start teaming up as a, a Rock and Roll Express type deal. Rick, And in between, you got Ricky going to Continental and working with Todd, Ricky and Robert teaming up for Nelson Royal. Just a, a weird year for the Rock and Roll Express where they're just nomads bouncing around from here and there. And it's fun. I mean... <laughs> well, it's different. Yeah. It refreshed them because, I mean, you remember when they came back in 19, when they came back to the NWA in January '90. You know, they come back, they're refreshed. They're against a whole new. There's a whole new set of tag team opponents. Mm-hmm. They're coming out to uh, your mama don't dancing day on rock and roll from Poison, which one of the biggest mistakes ever made by Turner Broadcasting Services was, uh, you know, not keeping commercial music because a lot of acts suffer from that losing their music rock and rolls is definitely one of them yes because it modernized them yeah and the thing and the thing is you remember what what their song became after they uh lost that song 
It was just some generic, like, Happy Days well, what, soundtrack kind which of thing. Generic, yeah, but what generic song was it? It's become pretty, pretty um, well-known song now for because of what it's used for now. Oh, I don't know. It's the theme song to Diners, Drives, In, and Dies. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm pulling that, this up. I'm curious. Well, not this part. I need to find um, the full-length theme. The, the opening where guys uh, go into the restaurants. It's that thing. No, wait. Okay, so where am I looking for this? It's like the opening of the show is where he it shows clips of him at, at, at the restaurants. The full-length intro. Yeah. Full intro. Let's see. Uh, I don't know if I'm finding this version. Here we Just go. go to it. Oh, wait, I found a full episode. There we go. Yeah. I'm Guy Fieri. We're rolling out. Looking for America's greatest... This trip... I'm doing my best work right now, folks. <laughs> We're hitting some surf. Some lemon. And keeping things savory. There it is. That would go in the Flavortown Hall of Fame. We've got a local gem in Puerto Rico. This is... I might be thinking, too, of the one they used... Um, the one they, they dubbed... Your Mama Don't Dance with on the Russell Warholm video, too. Um, okay, so what's this one? Is that their Nitro Era theme? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's a version of this on YouTube as the Rock and Roll Express theme. Yeah, but that's what they used in 1990. Okay. Um, oh my god. What? The knockoff of uh, the ELO song is on YouTube as an isolated song. The one that's one of the most terrible songs I've ever heard in my life. I don't remember there being a knockoff of... Oh, yes. Um, go back to your Rock and Roll Express WCW theme search. Okay. And I'll tell you which one to go to. Okay, which one was it? Scroll down. Go to the... That one is your... Ro it's Rock and Roll. Okay. Yes. Alright, pause it real quick. Okay. This debuted um, at a show they did. They, they taped TV in, uh, I think it's Greensboro. It's Dusty and Rock and Rolls against uh, Midnight's and Bubba as a bunkhouse match. And this is post ELO pre Boogie Woogie Dance Hall? Yes, this is the song in the middle. Okay. This song hit, and the crowd was going crazy, but you could tell that they're like, what is this? And then. It became like that every week after that. So listen to this shit. Listen to the words on this shit, too. Okay, now I'm curious. Okay. Mark Hallman, it's rock and roll. What is the origin of this? Um, I mean, he's a, well known, he's a well-known studio guy. So is this a commercial knockoff? No. Or is it's this... It's, Cro it's Crockett. Commissioning this studio musician yes, to make a knockoff. 
this is what he was doing. Remember, this is that time period where they're they're going to the new Midnight Express theme, the, their version of Chase. They're going to their version of Iron Man by the Road Warriors, and then Valiant gets a uh, boogie boogie. You know, not too long after that, too. Oh, the you know um, they they kind of they don't do a knockoff version of Shark Dress Man for Jimmy Garvin, but his his song they use in '88 is pretty. Mm. So I can't find anything about the song online. So yeah, it, has, it must have been made specifically for Crockett. It is. So oh, and of course, and of course, Craig is credited as uh, Craig UK. That's Craig of the theme yes. guy, of course, is who's credited as the source for this because who else would it have come from? Exactly. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, 1989 and let's go to hey Ronnie P. Gossett, and he's joined by the master of pain here, who. Uh, yeah, he he would do some things in his career after here. So uh, let's go to this clip, shall we? Hope he doesn't call someone a jobber and get canceled by those wokes, so. <laughs> oh, he's found a camera cable, but he left it alone. You have to bring him. What? When Ronnie C. Gossett is out here, Dave Brown, you will treat him with a little more respect. Or you'll deal with me personally. I'll, now we can start this interview. I'll treat him with all the respect he deserves. Don't press your luck with me, Dave Brown. <laughs> Money, don't waste your time with this pencil neck moron. Let me tell you something about that babbling fool Dutch Mantel. He wants a no time limit, no disqualification, no referee match. And to put the icing on the cake, a loser leaves town. You well, don't. he better get his Greyhound bus ticket ready because that idiot is going back to what is it, Slopcroft, Texas, where he's from. What he don't realize, my man spent four years in the federal pen. Cell block A. He was the king of cell block A. Nobody beat him. And Dutch thinks he's going to climb through the ropes and handle the master of pain. That's like you handling me. Tell him, pain. You know, Dutch, up until now, I could care less about pinfalls. All I was worried about was how bad I beat you up. And last, every time, every time we get in the ring, what happened, Ronnie? Who laid in the middle of the ring That's while we walked back? Now. That's, That's right. So he went and got bold. He said, well, I got, a, I, got a, I got a pin on the master of pain. Well, see, I don't care. But now all that changes. Because after I beat him up, I'm going to lay him out one, two, three. And then I'm going to personally hand him that bus ticket back to Oil Trash, Texas, and I'm sure he'll be sitting in the back of the bus. That's what Dutch Mantel came in here on, a bus ticket and a cardboard box, and that's what he's going out on. He has never been anything in the wrestling business, and we're not going to spoil his record. I fired the idiot, and he is gone. Do you understand that? I understand. It's going to be no time limit, no disqualification, no referee even in the ring. And the loser will leave town. The loser town. will leave town. You understand that? We'll see what happens at the... We'll uh, know what happens. <laughs> we'll find out in the... You match. like Dutch, don't you? I'm not going to take sides in this. You better not. Let me just tell you. It's don't loser tell leave town. Have you got Maybe the we match better take straight? a break. We've already I, we've got the match one, straight. We're going to take a break is what we're going to do. And we'll be back with you in a moment. quick the match that was before the promo was dustin rhodes and nightmare freddy against rough and ready <laughs> all right uh 
that Master Pain, huh? Getting a lot of promo time here, Bix. Yeah. I liked him in this gimmick. Me too. <laughs> um, you can definitely tell that he is a fan of Road Warrior Hawk with his mannerisms. Kind of. You notice yeah. that he. He did that, that little neck roll and with his tongue, wearing the the chain with the spikes. Yeah, he definitely has uh, been watching his Road Warrior Hawk. But yeah, I, I like the Master of Pain gimmick here, and I thought Mark did a good job in the, in that role. It's just amazing to me that you know he played all those years as the Undertaker when you know what he's really like. Yes, and he was never. I mean, he he was able to do it eventually in WWE when he was Booker Red Taker, but. The fact that we didn't get, you know, more of that. I would have liked to see more of him in, in this type of character. He was good at it. Absolutely, it was. Ronnie P. Gossett, you notice Bix had, uh, was sporting a shiner there. This is the time period where he's wrestling a lot on the on the house shows and gimmick matches. So, I guess he got jacked up there. Oh, he gets jacked lots of which ways. Oh, come on now. I'm not going to follow that up by saying anything. Anyway, Jonesboro. All right, August 4th in Jonesboro, Arkansas, in front of 430 fans. This is Mark Starby, Freezer Thompson. Black Bart kept CWA title pin and Dustin Rose his feet on the ropes in a match where they brought all over the building, including breaking the souvenir table with the Rock and Roll Express was selling their gimmicks. Four stars. Nightmare Freddy over in the zombie by DQ, a dud. Uh, Jerry Lawler and Plowboy Boy Frazier beat Wildside. Christian Mark Starby by DQ, two and three quarter stars. Uh, Plowboy was only in the ring for 15 seconds of a 17-minute match. This is mainly Lawler beaten down the whole way while Wildside did all their hot moves on him. And then Rock and Rolls beat the Blackbirds, Burkhouse Brown, Iceman Parsons with no heat, in a match with no heat, when they pinned the manager, Harold T. Harris, star on three-quarter. Um, wait, since we have star ratings, this isn't the Brian week Jamel. of the good... I was going to say, when is the Goodhart trip in 89? Uh, this is that time. Oh, uh, what's the date of the handheld that's out there? I'm going to look for it now. Um, in fact, I, if this is a show I may have seen. So let me look and see here. All right. Uh, Memphis. It's Feinstein that shot that, right? Yes. All right. E- easy, way, easy way for me to search is to search for Freezer Thompson. Alright, let's see here. There's the TVs. Alright. Check the next one. I'm not sure if it's on YouTube anymore either, so that's why I didn't look there yet. Okay, maybe his match wasn't on there. Um, Let's see here. I know, I mean, yeah, the handheld... There are handhelds from August 89. I'm pretty positive on that. Yeah, that's uh, why I was asking. I thought August. Let me search for right. handheld. All right, let's see. Um, no. Okay, I found it. It's Nashville on July 8th. July. Yes. yes July. And July 11th is, I'm not yeah. sure what town. That's it, July. Into the summer. So, yeah, we're about um, three weeks to a month after that. Yeah. Alright, Miss Up Call CM August 7th for the Battle of the Movie Monsters as Jason and Nightmare Freddy beat the zombie and the Undertaker. Jason had his hockey mask pulled off to reveal a skeleton mask. Zombie got so scared he ran into his coffin and wouldn't get out the coffin. 
And the Undertaker was double teamed until Freddy finally beat him with the Freddy Claw. Dave says, I'm not making this up. So yes, the Master Pain was competing on the show with the Undertaker. How about that? Hmm. And there are videos online of the zombie and the Undertaker, folks, if you want to see that. But Jason was played by Lawler. Was Jason always Lawler? Here, yes. At okay. this point in time. 1984, Jason was Borzukov. Okay. All right, Dustin Rose and Bill Dundee beat Black Barton, Dirty White Boy in an Australian Rules football match. Look, this was a popular thing in 89 for some reason in the Southern Independent Circuit because Continental did the same things. Uh, Ken Wayne. You mean the Alabama football classic? No, that was kind of a different version, but they did like a, a version of this also a Continental too. It may have been when Boyd was there the year earlier. I can't, but I know they did it. Uh, Never Ken Wayne never took Gilbert. Blackbirds failed to pin the Rock and Roll Express in 10 minutes. Those had to forfeit their $10,000. However, they gave them $142 instead. Master Payne won the lose leave town match for Dutch Mantel when Wildside distracted the referee and Ronnie Gossett sprayed green in Dutch's eyes. Rock and Roll Express won a lights out match over Wildside by DQ and the Blackbirds and Harold Harrison interfered in the finale. So Lawler keep the unified USWA title beating uh, Bam Bam Bigelow in a coward waste of flag match with Andy Marlin and Ronnie Gossett in the corner. Finish saw Martin. Marlin beat up Gossett and waved his flag while hiding him in the ring apron, making it like Bigelow, who was destroying Lawler and giving it up. Bigelow then beat up Marlin after the match and was suspended to allow him to leave for his Japanese tour. By the way, friends of Bigelow insist that Bigelow has a contract already signed to fight Mike Tyson, but nobody in the Boston world seems to know anything about it. What the? Yeah. Yeah, Wildside, not mentioned here earlier in the card, uh, had lost to Plowboy Frazier and Mad Dog Boyd. Okay. That sounds terrible. Dutch loses this match, and then a week later, a mass wrestler named Texas Dirt appears on television. Hmm. Um. So, which well, not Dutch just mask. He's wearing a shirt too, because he really has to conceal his identity. Yeah. What do you think about Dutch doing the Texas Dirt gimmick? I thought it was fine. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, he. He, he he did a good job with, with that type of gimmick, you know, where you, you see, I mean, you could do that thing where everybody knows who it is, blah, 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 blah. But the way he did it was, was really entertaining. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, Bigelow. Dave has some thoughts here. They're doing the best job of using Bigelow of any promotion Dave's seen since last time he worked for them. They got the guy over as the ultimate monster and crowds are picking up to see Lawler battle him. And the clips of the matches that they showed on television look really good. The best Lawler stuff all year. I think we said on this show before. I mean, nobody knew how to use Bigelow like Memphis did. Nope. I mean, he was kept dangerous. Uh, made to look gigantic. They used him effectively as far as not overexposing him. Even when he was a baby face, he was still out of control and wild and dangerous. There's something about Jared and Lawler. They just got it with him in ways that other people didn't. Absolutely. Well, it's Lawler, you know, more than anybody else. I think mean, Lawler knew how to use big guys. Because, I mean, look how he used Bundy when Bundy was there. I mean, Kamala is Kamala because of Lawler. So I, I think that was part of it, because yeah, they had a lot of shitty big guys come through, but you know, guy, big guys that could move and stuff like that. Oh, Lawler definitely 
knew how to work with them and make them look, you know, like it's amazing monsters. Absolutely. All right, well, let's go to Dallas, shall we? And the end of world-class championship wrestling. The Dallas Sportatorium sold out to the tune of 3,000-plus on August 4th for the match, which ended the world-class era. Eric Embry beat P.Y. Chu High, Phil Hickerson, in the steel cage, and by the terms of the match, the promotion is now called the USWA, and Embry tore down all the world-class banners all over the Sportatorium. Also another cage match on the show, Chris Adams beat Gary Young by DQ when Katniss Jack Manson and Skander Atwater interfered. Manson and Sheet Braddock, Scott Braddock, won the world-class tag titles, which are now the USWA tag titles. Dave supposes, from beat by beating Matt Bourne and Jeff Jarrett. Percy Pringle and to Joe Yamamoto and Jimmy Jaffone beat Mr. Texas in a mass versus mass match where Mr. Texas was unmasked to reveal TV jobber Buster Fowler, dog of war. But of course, the big story here is the um, end of world-class championship wrestling, uh, it, which made the Wrestling News Network as Gordon Soley a uh, week or two after this happened, reported on this match on the Power Hour. So let's go to the clip. Eric dropped down over Chu High's knee. Chu High charges. Eric out of the way. Hooks the leg. And hello, USWA. come rushing to the ring. Eric Embry has saved the organization for the USWA. Oh, what a win. An opportunistic win for Eric. And we'll be back for more in a moment. And the pandemonium continues at the Sportatorium as we're back to say goodbye. But as we do so, we want to show you as Percy Pringle and Eric Embry go over to say goodbye to the world-class era, which has been ruined by Yamamoto and Akbar, and it's time for the old banner to come down to be replaced by a USWA banner, and the fans love it. What a heralded, memorable moment here at the world-famous Sportatorium. Fritz von Erich and all of the great stars who have wrestled in this building the great Danny Fletches, Duke Kiyomuka, this night will stand right. It's amazing to me. <coughs> Excuse me. It's amazing to me still how they made the promotion the heel in this and got it over. Well, the world-class board of directors had been corrupted by the evil Tojo Yamamoto and Skandor Akbar. Yeah, but still, it's just, it's, <laughs> you know. saying, it's just still, it's still amazing to me that, that they were able to do that. Because yep. world-class is so synonymous with the Von Eriks that <clears throat> in storyline, here's the thing, though. In storyline, was it ever acknowledged that Fritz wasn't in charge anymore? Was Fritch ever in charge in storyline? Um, I guess you could say he wasn't because they always was say matchmaker Ed Watt. Yeah. 
And if they needed to give the name of a promoter, they'd give like one of the on paper Dallas or Fort Worth promoters. Usually, I mean, they, when they wouldn't even really do that. It'd be um, Ed Watts. Okay. Or they would do the, um, or Frank Dusick took that type of role. Right. I feel like I remember them mentioning, uh, what was Dorothy Living Good's husband's name? In Fort no, Worth, some. But still. Uh, okay, now, I've, I can't remember if we've discussed this on the air before. Now that it seems like this was not the case, do you have any recollection of where the story that Kevin said they couldn't use the name anymore came from? Was that it? Because when we did the World Class Patreon shows, um, didn't seem like that was a newsletter thing. And when I've done other research. So, but that's definitely a thing that was out there, right? There's a lot of things out there with Kevin, you know, stuff that was. But I don't think it was a Kevin about. thing. But, you know, since Jeff's done the podcast about all this, and it seemed to be pretty straightforward about it, and it, you know, he said that it was simply, simply that his dad felt as a business they needed a fresh start. And, you know, for syndication and stuff, I believe was part of the idea, too. That world class was too damaged. And then, well, and eventually Memphis, take, you know, takes it over. I mean, take, you know, becomes the just the PA, too. Yeah. yeah. I think they want to use that name. Yes. Well, because also, but, cause uh, we know, you know, it's only a few months later that Jerry Jarrett's trying to make a go of it with more, like, national syndication and move towards Dallas. And when I say national syndication, I mean, like, trying to do the Saturday show as a lot, the Saturday morning thing, tapings as a live show. And he has all these ambitious plans. So, of course, he wants to use this more, like, gussied up new name. Yeah. And uh, also, but, we should know, too. This was not a TV week that they t that the match happened. No, 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 no. It's yeah. a single it's camera, and that's why the PA, the PA mic is not also fed into the TV. Yes, which I think that was done on purpose, just to make it feel more raw and no, to draw a bigger house. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not TV. Oh yeah, you know, I I, it's going to be shown on television, but you're not going to see the whole match. For some reason, I thought you meant from a production perspective. Yes, of course. But uh. Hell of a moment, you know, and, and the, you know, the payoff to the long Eric Embry scan the right bar angle right here. And it's just, it, it's interesting to watch the promotion after this happens. Because it seems like Embry has, you know, he captured his Moby Dick. You know, he captured the white whale. And then what? it's like, what do you do next? And he was still, Eric Embry was still over, but there there wasn't a second act, you know? And they didn't do yep. enough to differentiate it from world class. And hell, Carrie. I mean, and, and after this happens, Carrie comes back and, and works and is working more regularly, and he's like the number one babyface again, in a way, mm. because he's feeding with Tars Bulba, then Master. Well, not he's not Master Pain here. He's uh, what was his um, Punisher? What was Punisher? Yeah, Mark comes in as the Punisher with a mask on, and that becomes a top feud. And then, I mean, they 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 do other feuds too, but Embry Embry is not the focal point anymore, and that may have been his own doing as well. He is the Booker, so I don't know. It was just interesting that, that, that this was like the peak of this whole Dallas thing, and then after this, it's like, what's next? For a while, it's basically what's next until. Uh, 
Adams and Austin. You know, then that becomes the dominant feud. Yeah. And we should know, too, they sold out the Sportatorium for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, right. I mean, to make it, I mean, yeah. we should stress that, I mean, I should say, because yeah. like, that ha- that had not happened in a long time. Yeah. They're supposed to have Chris Adams and Gary Young in a hair match at the TV tapings the next day. However, the story goes, Percy Pringle went with Adams' condo to get him, and Atbar's guys all beat up Percy in the parking lot. He was hospitalized, so Adams at the hospital taking care of Percy. So Embry wrestled Young instead. All the heels ran in, and somehow Adams then got back and made the save. How convenient for Chris Adams. He, he made it back. Amazing how that worked out, Picks. <laughs> nah, All right, let's go. Yeah, no. All right, let's go to the American Wrestling Association. Not to be confused with the United States Wrestling Association. <laughs> yes. The new team concept isn't doing as well as they'd hoped for as far as clean, clearing TV markets, but they have clear Philadelphia, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, and Tampa. For the team show, which is supposed to start airing the weekend of September 18th, and the first tape will be on August 26th in Rochester, Minnesota. The show that airs on September 18th will announce the rules and regulations for the new team format. Teams will be five male wrestlers, a woman, and a midget. On September 25th, they will have the drawing for the three proposed teams. And the following week, the actual week of competition will take place. Oh, yes, Bix's team challenge series. And we talked about this on... Uh, Patreon.com slash 20 sheets on the death of the AWA show. And I think we may have also done the week where the proposal was first sent to TV stations, right? We've talked about stuff like this before, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the gist is, and it's the thing that was completely forgotten, this was kind of a last-minute attempt to try to cash in on TV stations wanting shows like American Gladiators, which hadn't launched yet but still was coming that fall. They wanted to get in on kind of the junk sports movement that was coming in TV syndication. And that was the idea with the team talent series. And it's much, it's much more obvious if you watch the pilot that's on WWE network compared to how it turned out. And this is totally different from what we would get too. This is the, you know, special studio, you know, all that stuff. The only new names thus far announced as far as coming in for the new series are Kokina, the Samoan, Yoko, Russian Brute, George Petrovsky, Mitchell House Baker, Kendall Wyndham, Ivan Koloff, and possibly Big Van Vader. Depending upon whether or not Leon White can get the rights to use the Vader gimmick in the United States, although Leon's told others if he gets the rights, he'd like to work in the NWA. Yeah, I don't blame him. I would too. <laughs> well, Eventually. two of these guys show up. Yeah, two of these guys show up. Yeah. Well, three. Ox. Well, I'm, I'm not counting him. Yeah. He's a manager. But, yeah, Ken, Kendall don't show up. Nikita shows up in the live, and so... Yes. Oh, uh, yes, this era of the AWA is, uh, is something else. Managers are talent, though. You should count former Prices Right contestant Douglas Baker. Yeah, I guess. Brad Rangans will be returning to the team with Kim Patera. So Patera will pick a series of partners to defend the AWA tag titles against, against, against the Destruction Crew. Good luck like with Enos that. and Wayne, Wayne the Trey and Bloom, yeah. Ah, uh, the AWA tag titles. <laughs> yes. Always, always weird strife. Mm-hmm. Who ends up being his partner? Pat Tanaka when they lose the titles? No, he's heel. Yeah, wait a second. Uh, Didn't they team at one point, though? Who am I thinking of, then? Oh, well, you're th- oh no, they vacated uh, yeah. it. There was a tournament. 
Yeah, they turn them in. Oh, because it's Paul Diamond and Greg Anya. That's what. I, okay, I was. That's why I was thinking Bad Company. Okay. Yes. All right, Portland, August fifth. At Portland, saw Scotty the Body beat Top Gun and lose a town match. Well, he's about to go to the NBA, so that's why he's leaving. Uh, there were many stipulations in this match because I lose the lead. It was a cold miner's glove. Jonathan Boy was handcuffed to Scott Peterson. Where the match got both Northwest Tag Titles because they had been the champions until they split up three weeks ago. Plus a no DQ, no time limit. Wound up with Grappler bringing down Boyd Snake, which scared Peterson to death. And while this is going on, Gra- Grappler gave Sky the body a, the coal miner's glove, and he used it to win the match. And now the Grappler Sky and you tag team champions. Also in the card, Southern Rockers, Steve Dawson, Scott Peterson beat Grappler and Jonathan Boyd. Carl Styles over Colonel Beers by DQ. Rex King over Alberto Madrill. And Beetlejuice went to double DQ with Crypto Revolver. That sounds like a fun Portland show. It's 1989, so yes. A lot of heavy steps in that main event. Mm-hmm. How but much yeah, is Day, there? Uh, oh, go ahead. Day Sierra is about to, to dip out. So yes, go to WCW's Cuban Assassin. Uh, do we have like full? How much do we have as far as like full shows or whatever from '89? A good bit from okay. the first half of the year. Okay, and then first gets- half of the year. First, yeah, first half of the year you you do pretty good. Then the second half of the year is pretty much uh, hit and miss. But with the key angles and stuff. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, you get the, that's the thing is, yeah, you get the, 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 the good part of being the first half of the year is that's Piper. Piper's there. Yes. Like, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it pretty much, July 89 is pretty much the last of the regular TV that we have. Like, the last one that I'm looking at here is July 29th. So the week for a week. So, but so yeah, we have a good little bit from uh from the first seven months of the year. So we have all the Carl style stuff. We have we have Beetle, the creation of Beetlejuice, Piper coming back on a regular basis. So yes, it's a great time period. And now let's close out with what we heard about earlier in the show: is the number one wrestling promotion in the world. The Almighty National Wrestling Alliance. Well, World Championship Wrestling featuring the stars of the National Wrestling Alliance. Well, yeah, but I mean, this era is even more NWA. Ninety, you know, that starts to you know ch- change a little bit more until the end of ninety. Yeah, but eighty nine, they're still doing a lot of NWA stuff. But anyway, all right, Ric Flair, he's now the chairman of the booking committee, which basically means he's the booker with the final say. Oh, gee, you think? He's a chairman, Dave. Rather than have the committee vote and argue over what gets done, Eddie Gilbert, Kevin Sullivan, and others still meet, but Flair has the ultimate decision-making power. It'd be interesting to see how this works out. In one sense, it's good, since every wrestler respects Flair, which is needed for a booker to get anything accomplished. But Dave hates to see anything that might take anything away from Flair, the wrestler, which is a full-time job in itself. As a full-time, Dave means 24 hours. Not to mention that the NWA is ever going to get anywhere. Flair is going to have to be marketed as a national celebrity, which means endless public appearances, and there aren't enough hours in the week for what he would need to do in a day if he's the booker, world champion, and celebrity, and to maintain his level of work. Yeah, Dave, you know, throughout most of 89, is, you know, we talk about this on many podcasts, you know, he's all about Flair needs to be this national celebrity. Flair needs to be spotlighted on Turner Network stations. Flair needs to be you know anything that's a property that's 
align with Turner. Flair needs to be on it. Um, was Ric Flair the guy that was that should have been part of that, or should? Or that's the thing. I mean, I don't think Flair himself is that guy, or wants to be wanted to be that guy. You know? I don't know. I mean, I get the point, but I get what you're saying too. The life that Ric Flair, the life that Ric Flair led <laughs> outside the ring, was not conducive for him to be doing media appearances. No, all the time. No, he wasn't going to change who he was. I mean, because more often than not, you know, a lot of these media appearances are early in the morning mm-hmm. on these radio stations, whether it's you know local TV, you know. Well, with a guy fairness, who, has anyone yeah. ever seen him actually hung over? Well, I mean, no, but the thing is, though, is Flair, whatever sleep he did get, which wasn't much, you know, he was in the gym in the mornings. Yes, he was, as as uh, Fred Hart put in his book, on the Stairmaster sweating out his poisons. Yeah, which is probably why you never saw Ric Flair really hung over that much. And, you know, if you're if, if you know how to drink... And you know how to you know how to, to balance that out. You'll you'll never get hungover. Well, uh, it, let's be clear: hangovers are dehydration because alcohol dehydrates you. If you exactly. drink water with your alcohol, you will not get a hangover. Exactly. You got to balance balance it. You drink alcohol, then you drink water. You drink alcohol, then you drink water. Then you drink alcohol, you drink water. Yeah, you balance it out. There's a reason that if you've ever seen like a medical drama where a doctor comes in hungover, he's getting like an IV bag and vitamins. Yeah. But Flair's chairman of the booking committee, I mean, it it, it's, it becomes interesting because, you know, Rob Naylor's one of these people. And I, I, I get where he's coming from in this. I mean, he'll tell you that the NWA, the best version of the NWA is before Flair becomes chairman of the booking committee. In 89, you mean? Yes. He said, you know, he's like the back half of 89. Is it as fun and different mm. as it was the first part of after George Scott's gone? So like we're saying April through July compared to August through December. Yeah. It does have the bash July. Um, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, they had a lot more new talent, though, as the year goes on. The thing is, too, though, is there's a lot of a lot of things change because, I mean, you know, Terry Funk has his staff infection. Yes. So you lose him for a period of time as a wrestler. They bring in Dick Slater. Um, You do the whole Cornette dynamic to his Midnight Express angle. You got, um, you know, Steamboat's gone, which we'll talk about right here in a second. So you lose Steamboat, which is a big piece to the puzzle. I mean, he's Ricky Steamboat, for God's sakes. And and it's like the replacements you bring in aren't as good as the guys that are being replaced, like Steamboat, where you bring in first Tommy Rich and then Tom Zink. You know, and it just seemed like it's not as quirky, eccentric of a promotion. I would say, in a way, that it was before Flair became chairman. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's just a little different. It's great, but it's just different. 
I mean, the world champion being the chairman of the booking committee is, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting to look at because, I mean, you wouldn't think that he would be somebody that would even be interested in that. He's more interested in himself, you know? And that basically in this is what he is anyway. Well, and he ends up delegating a lot of the work regardless. Yeah. Yeah, Cornette and Kevin Sullivan are the ones writing the TV under Flair. So he's mainly focusing on his programs and some big picture stuff. And yeah, I mean, you got the idea. Yeah. Well, also, as far as the world champion being the booker, though, again, he has creative control of the world title anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, there's been a ton of talk throughout pro wrestling in the situation where the NWA and Ricky Steamboat are part of company. In fact, in a rare, bizarre, and almost honest approach, the NWA even acknowledged the parting of the ways on the Power Hour show on August the 4th when Gordon Sully lit off his Wrestling News Network segment with a story about the split. Sully and NWA are claiming the split wasn't over contract difficulties, but simply because Steamboat had a foot injury. The NWA even sent out a press release acknowledging that Steamboat was no longer with them, blaming the foot injury and personal reasons, and saying that the parting was amicable, and in the future they would like to bring him back. In truth, Steamboat does have a foot injury. It was not an injury that would lead to him taking time off of wrestling if contract contractual terms had been agreed upon. Virtually all wrestlers work daily with injuries of some sort, so that can be always, always be used as an excuse. And this type of PR softening of the issue is not uncommon in professional sports. And Dave believes that, among other things, that Jim Hurd's background was a stint in the front office of the National Hockey League St. Louis Blues, which may be why Hurd acknowledged Steamboat's leaving in the press release and on his own television show, which a contrast that the WF would never have done. WF would have pretended that Steamboat never existed in the first place. Well, they did that when he left him in 88. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go to uh, this clip, shall we? Okay. Born solely on the Power Hour, talking about Ricky Steamboat. Here it is. Another Power Hour exclusive. It's wrestling's most important network, the Wrestling News Network. Now let's go to the Dean of Wrestling Newscasters, Gordon Soley. The Pettacino. Thank yeah. you very much and welcome to the Wrestling News Network. A special note at the onset, next week's Power Hour will be on Saturday night. That's right, Saturday night at 8.05, a very special edition. We urge you to tune in. Now, word has been received that Rick Steamboat has left the NWA. He is citing personal reasons, however, informed sources have told me that Rick Steamboat has suffered a foot injury and is going to require surgery. Further on, a return match between Terry Funk, the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and... All right, this is split in two parts, so we're going to continue with the next clip. Sting has complained to the NWA about Muta and says, let's take the issue to the ring. Let's settle the national television championship in the ring and not by arbitration. Turning now to other news in wrestling, turning to the WWF, the former NWA tag team champions Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, who left the NWA after they were defeated for their world tag team championship by the uh, Midnight Express, have now gained the WWF tag team championships. Elsewhere in world-class championship wrestling, Eric Embry faces P.Y. Chu Hai. Now, the future of the WCCW hangs in the balance of this match. The winner will take over. And now, 
Let's take a listen to the top ten in the NWA. This is the official NWA top ten for the week of 8-4-1989. In the number ten position, it's Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Number nine, Wildfire, Tommy Rich. Sid Vicious moves into the top ten in the number eight position. His partner, Dangerous Dance Bobby, number seven. Captain Mike Rotunda is in number six. Dr. Death Steve Williams, number five. The Great Muta is number four. Terry Funk is in the number three position. Sting is the number two contender. And the number one contender to Ric Flair is Lex Luger. And now a personal note, if you please. Why is Lex Luger bad-mouthing Tommy Wildfire Rich? Is it because that Tommy Rich was one of the youngest men ever to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship? Or is it because Tommy Wildfire Rich's return to professional wrestling poses a threat to Lex Luger? Luger claims to be the complete and total package. Well, Tommy Rich was that long before Lex Luger. And judging by Luger's attitude of late, I would say that Tommy Rich does indeed pose a serious threat to the, quote, total package. That's the way it is on WNN. I'm Gordon Soley. I used to love those segments. <laughs> we don't have the whole Steamboat thing because the way it is on YouTube, though. I love those segments. <laughs> because, I mean, it was just so interesting to hear them acknowledge yeah. the other stuff going on in wrestling. And that the whole Embry thing is what, I mean, that's the night it that match took place. Yeah. August 4th. Uh, and Gordon, this was a great use of Gordon Soley. And yeah, I just I enjoy and until until they made it all about their promotion, which wasn't very long, it became that way. Um, they do this for maybe the first three months of Power Hour, hmm. and then it's, it goes into a NWA centric thing. But yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Russell News Network stuff, and then Pedicino would take that and use that in Global. You know, so obviously you can tell whose idea this yeah. was. Clearly. All right. So Rick Steamboat talked to John Arazzi and his radio show on WMYG in New York on August 6th and said the two sides have been negotiating for two months and agreed to contract terms a few weeks ago. But after agreeing to terms, the NWA tried to cut another $50,000 off his annual compensation and he felt insulted. And serious negotiations broke off at that point. Steamboat said he wasn't ruling on eventually working for the NDNWA or Titan Sports. And expected some talks would begin with Titan, but they must take the rest of the summer off at this point. NWA Vice President Jim Herb was also interviewed by John Arezzi, which will air on the 13th on WMYG to get his side of the story on Steamboat being gone. Herb said that there was absolutely no pressure whatsoever to keep his expenses down and no pressure to cut the payroll. Herb said the doors are closed between the two and they would like to get Steamboat back. What are your thoughts on these, uh, what we're hearing here in these interviews, Bex? Well, I mean, we know with hindsight uh, who Ricky blames for all this on now. Bonnie. Yes. <laughs> My Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. You ever heard that song, Bex? I don't think so. Oh, My Bonnie. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, what's it, Tony Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it took me a second. <laughs> you, know who, you know who his band is on that album, right? Who was his band, Bix? 
are you just queuing me up to say it or you don't know? Yes, I'm queuing you up to say it because I know who it is. That would be, uh, what are they called on it? Or, not when it came out, but later they are referred to, I think, as the Beach Brothers. It's the Beatles, as is back. In yeah. And they, and they, there's a version that they do on uh, Anthology, on uh, Anthology 1. That sounds right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Steamboat, I think, basically says, like, if I remember the way he explained it to me right, he shouldn't have just gone with a six month or three, what was it? Yeah, six month contract in the first place. Mm hmm. It would have been interesting to see how he fit in, you know, in, um, in that era after he leaves with, with who they have there, you know. Uh, obviously, he'll few, his view with Luger will stay the same, they'll have their matches. But then after Luger, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm curious to see where he would go from there, you know, at that time. Who would he be programmed with, you know? Also, I'm kind of curious where the Luger program would have gone past this point, because this is these are just their initial matches before Steamboat. Yeah. Was. Well, they probably would have done a big gimmick match at uh, Havoc or something. Uh, um, I'd also be curious to know whose idea the actual finish to the Bash pay-per-view match is. Because, well, how about a... Yeah, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, because it's one of the greatest, best executed by far DQ finishes I've ever seen. Well, how about uh, Ricky Steamboat being booked by Ric Flair? Hmm. Interesting point. Although, you know, Flair is a babyface too, but still, yeah, would, but we, still yeah. would we be seeing Steamboat in the mix with Flair and staying against JTAX? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Dave says, I want to be careful how I phrase these points, but they have to be made. I don't want to pass judgment on either side here for two reasons. One is, I don't know what the money figure the sides were arguing over was. Although the fact that the sides were so close at one point makes me think that, makes me believe the figure wasn't unreasonable. I do pretty much have a ballpark estimate of the figure, and it's basically in line or slightly below with similar level NBA mainliners are earning right now. However, I don't know what kind of financial pressures heard is under to try and balance the budget. Because obviously the wrestling company is operating deeply in red ink. While it is true that Steamboat doesn't have the popularity right now of, say, Sting or Ric Flair, it's also true that there's an intangible, not only because he's one of the two best workers in the United States, and his presence to a degree elevates not only the quality of the card itself, but also it can have a subconscious effort uh, effect on others to work harder, to be in the flow with the headliners. One NWA wrestler told me that having a wrestler of that caliber on the show elevates everyone's performance. And Cannon's current situation with Lex Luger has shown helps significantly improve the working experience of working for the guy he regularly is wrestling against. Another point, and I want to point this out, that over the past week, the phone calls from those in the business regarding this subject have been numerous, is that the NWA devoted the last six months to push a steamboat, make it in the world champion, and at a time when it needs stability for credibility, they lost it. And not to know the organization. And while those at Titan have said they would never take Steamboat back, Experience with Dusty Rose and Barry Windham indicates that isn't the case at all, since Windham left Titan are under far worse terms than Steamboat ever did, and Dusty was one of Vince's most bitter enemies business-wise for years. Even if someone argued that in reality, Dusty was Vince's ally all that time, even if he wasn't trying to be. Additionally, Steamboat did everything asked of him, and more, during his six-month tenure. He put over Lex Luger at all the house shows and did a clean job for Ric Flair when the time came to give up the NWA title. And there are several NWA mainliners who complain or won't do clean jobs or make up far more money. On the other hand, the case can be made that this is simply an economic decision. That Steve-O didn't draw on the amount of money that they would be paying him. That the family unit image hurt his popularity, or they simply didn't have the charisma of Flair, Luger, or Sting. See, that's the thing. 
I don't think Flair would go with a family unit image for Steamboat. You know? No. But we know where that we yeah, but we know where that comes from too. George Scott. Yeah, but yeah, George Scott's doing that, but who's probably Oh sorry, uh, sorry, Bonnie, yes. Bonnie. I mean, that's explicitly Bonnie. That's not a probably. Steam, I've yes. talked to Steamboat about this. Yes. Yes. Well, Tommy Rich will get Steamboat spot and he'll feud with Luger. They should have used the loss of Steamboat to force him to develop a new star to face Luger. Anyone, whether it be Sid Vicious. And Dave says, I realize Vicious versus Lex isn't in the long-term best interest, so they want both of them as heels. But still, fans will find the match intriguing if it was surely would be terrible. Scott Steiner, even Brian Pillman. They could have been put in a hot angle to elevate them to main event status. Unfortunately, I already had booking fans for Pillman in a feud with Norman. And Dr. Steve Williams, who may have been the best choice for one reason, that he's an established star, has a thing with Mike Rotunda. And Steiner's Freebird's a feud now. But they don't think Rich can cut it that high nowadays with a national promotion. And he's even more sure he can't as a babyface. Well, Tommy had had, you know, his... I mean, he had had this run here in, in you know, Southern Championship Wrestling, where he gained the weight. He was a heel. And he comes back here, it's a baby face, you know, starts getting in better shape, gets a great, tremendous shape in the, in the next year. I mean, it does fine, but he's never a main event level baby face again. No. Pillman, of course, they go with Pillman for Halloween Havoc. Do you think they should just win with Pillman from the start? Yes. I agree. I absolutely agree. He's also a better fit. Like, he... He fills the steamboat spot better than Tommy Rich while not coming off like this weird, like, uh, discount steamboat the way Zank did. I mean, you always Tommy Rich coming in is no problem. You got you bring him in and have right, him, I mean, you know, in that specific work, spot work, in that program. But yeah. Pillman needed to be in that spot. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, they did a TV angle where Eddie Gilbert and Sting were facing the New Zealand militia when Terry Funk and Gray Muda ran in and beat them down, and Ric Flair made the same. They brought all over the place. We'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Also, center stage on August 2nd, Rick and Scott Steiner had a tag match. Rick instead sat in the bleachers, ate M&Ms with Robin Green, while Scott beat both guys. Gary Hart's now managing Terry Funk on television. Why? Isn't that what set Funk apart from the other heels was that he wasn't part of a group? I mean... Yeah, in a way, but... Also, wasn't it this, Funk's idea to have Gary Hart be his manager? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it was great. JTEX. Yeah. All right, Kansas City, house show, August 4th. They drew a $26,000 house. 28000 That's right. I'm looking at it wrong. As Brian Pillman pinned Wild Bill Irwin. New Zealand Militia beat the Ding Dongs. Norman beat Steve Casey. Stephen Casey, Stephen Dane, Bix. How about that ass? The Dynamic Dudes beat Ron Simmons and Al DeBlay Green in 24 seconds. Tommy Rich threw out Norman to win the two-ring battle royal. Great Moon already killed by count in the Dragon Shy Challenge. Free Birds over Midnight Express and uh, when Terry Gordon appeared. Royal Warriors beat SST in a match where the false came were in the building. And Luger pinned Rick Steiner in the main Luger pinned Rick Steiner. And then the main event, Sting and Dr. Death beat Terry Funk and Terry Gordy when Doc cradled Funk. This finish defines logic, if only because the main event on the next show was Flair versus Funk for the NWA title. Funk's major problem is the heels, and nobody believes he has a chance to beat Flair, and they only solidified that belief for the fans who presumably would be paying next month to see that match locally by having him get pinned by Dr. Destiny Williams. 
the finish might get a great pop for the moment, which it did, but what good is it if it hurts the gate appeal in the next car? Yeah, what the fuck is this? What a stupid-ass finish. Why are you dropping Terry Funk anyway? He's in the number one feud. Who's booking house shows here? Ooh, I don't know. Whoever is a fucking idiot. Unless Fulton demanded that to happen, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just do, I mean, it, you don't have to do a clean finish in that match. Or do some some shit finish where, you know, they use a foreign object on Dr. Death and pin him. Or Gordy to do a job, you know? Terry Funk should not be jobbing in here. Not at all. All right, they got to say Louis next day that you're 3500 $35,000 on the gate. That's Tommy Rich, Pen Wobble, Irwin. Johnny Ace and Brian Pillman, something for Shane Douglas, beat Ron Simmons and Al Green in 58 seconds. New Zealand Militia beat the Ding Dongs again. Norman over Stephen Casey. Freebirds over Midnight Express to outside Francis Gordy. Luger over Rick Steiner with using the ropes. Scott Steiner threw out Norman to win the Battle Royal. At Road Warriors, Dr. Death beat the SST and Terry Gordy when Dot Pen Gordy. Mood and overstayed by Countout and Flair over Funk in 15 minutes. Crawl, brawl over the building for another five minutes after the match with double juice. Well, that sounds like a, 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 a strong little show there. Yeah, I wish we had more footage of house shows from 89. We really just have a little bit of Philly stuff early in the year, and that's about it. Yep. All right. The Omni, August the 6th. Through 13,000 fans, 589,000 on a Dynamic Dudes beat Ron Simmons and Al Green in 49 seconds. Using the militia of a Ranger Ross and Stephen Casey when Jacko used the boomerang on Ross. Norman Lutet pinned Lee Scott, and after the match, Rick Steiner, who was sitting in the front row, gave Norman a belly suplex. Tony Rich beat Wobbler, won the match with no heat. The Skyscrapers beat Johnny and Davey Rich. Crowd was 75% cheering the heels. Eddie Gilbert and Scott Steiner beat Kevin Sullivan Mike Rotunda in a coal miners glove match when Eddie got destroyed, juiced heavily, courtesy of the glove. However, Missy Hyatt tripped Sullivan up when he was on the top rope, and Gilbert pinned him. Then Gilbert did a major stretch job afterwards. Next, we have Great Muda beating Steam by count, the Dragon Side Challenge for the TV title. However, the t- title remains vacant because of the countout. That's the finish. Saw Gary Hart, saw, uh, saw Gary Hart keeping Steam from getting back in the ring. Question. Since the only way to win a Dragon Shy match is by countout, how can it be determined? How, how can it, how can it be determined a title change? A title can't change hands by countout. I don't know what they've said. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, you can tell. I, I figured it out. It's an OCR. I think maybe it said CLR. So it was like how or can, so. How can it be a countout to determine a title change if a title can't change hands by countout? Well, the whole TV title situation here's a fucking mess anyway. So well, yeah. the, the the booking of the title for like a month or two months is, is terrible. Every time they would have a match for the title, some screw job would happen and nobody would be champion. I hated that shit. And they were the only ones to do that type of shit. I hated it. Mm-hmm. World class when they did that shit in 85 with the Fantastics and Men Nights before Texas Stadium. They had matches on and off for two months where they're trying to determine who the American Tag Champions were and some, some shit happened. And the title stay vacant. Stupid. <clears throat> All right, Lex Luger pinned Rick Steiner with his feet on the ropes. Good. Luger almost 100% booed now. And Ric Flair over Terry Funk in 14 minutes of a double juice bloodbath. Great. And then Midnight's Road Warriors and Dr. Death over the Freebirds and SST and War Games when Hawk made haste to submit 29 minutes of a major bloodbath. And it's a bloodbath here where it wasn't at the pay-per-view because the pay-per-view was in Maryland. <clears throat> yes, Maryland State Athletic Commission. Be nice if this showed up on tape somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it, 
We don't have a good feel for what they have recorded in this era, though. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of well, – the thing is, is that you never saw Omniclips on television in this era either. No. So. Well, only if there happened to be a taping. Like the taping where Kendall Wyndham turns heel. That was earlier in the year. Remember, they taped at the Omni. Right. And we know that – They're not there. taping there no more. We know they have Flair Steamboat from that show, or at least that they taped Flair Steamboat from that show because there was a clip in a commercial, I think, for Clash 6. But, yeah, like, aside from that, no idea. And, I mean, we should probably stress, yeah, like, you know, at a time where they're not necessarily drawing big and historically now the bash is looked at as an outlier as far as such a big house. 13,000 fans and $589,000 for 1989 WCW at the Omni? Yeah, it's a hell of a house. <laughs> but I think there was a school... Oh, wait, $89,000, not five eighty-nine. It's an OCR era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's 13,000 fans, though. I mean, it's yeah, a hell of a house. I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I th- if I'm not mistaken, it was a back-to-school deal where they were like, mm-hmm. kids get in half price or shit like that, or... They always did some in August for back to school where they were draw good houses. Well, I mean, the low, bleh, excuse me, the average ticket price is clearly pretty low if it's eighty nine thousand. So yeah. All right, Keith Mitchell was hired as the head of production. Mitchell was a production head for World Class during the glory days, and was a pioneer in the high production values of pro wrestling shows before the WWF. And he would be here for the rest of the Turner run, and would go on to TNA and in AEW before retiring. Yeah. It has a reputation in the business. Well, a lot of it could. Um, I'll say this, though. I think really what's more germane to this is... I, I, head of production for World Class, I think, is a misnomer. Because at least it, what made World Class as we knew it in the production style was Mickey Grant. Well, yeah. And, he was yeah, he was the, the linchpin. And Dave would give too much credit to Keith Mitchell and for years after this, you know, like when he did some of the world-class documentary reviews, he would say Keith Mitchell was the actual production guy behind it, which I think has been proven to not be true. Well, Mickey was, Mickey was kind of like the Kerwin to Keith's Kevin Dunn. So there's I think that. it's more the opposite, isn't it? Cause isn't Keith a no. director or sometimes a director? <clears throat> Because Kerwin's the director. But Mickey Grant, I mean... I would say Mickey Grant is more than Kevin Dunn. Well, I guess maybe now. But Kevin Dunn was not never not always the head of production either. He sure, was just a producer. you know what I mean, though. And but anyway. Clear, by the way, when you hear people talk about, like, grooming for a Kevin Dunn replacement or whatever, there are two ways there's a Kevin Dunn replacement. One is his head of production role. The other is being the line producer for the actual shows. Mickey Grant was executive producer. Yes. Because I'm looking at it now. He was executive producer. Keith Mitchell was producer. Dan Bynum was director. There we go. <clears throat> Bill Mercer was associate producer. And then you start getting into your other uh, tertiary. Gil Gillum was technical director. So I'm looking at the credits now. So, uh, Dan, so Dan Bynum would, would be the Tim Walbert. Yeah, Dennis Bruns, production consultant. You just get into your uh, your more. I, t- I tell you, you look at some of those early world class shows, and you would see the name Mike Mike Atkinson in the credits, where Mike Von Erich was doing stuff. 
that's what he liked doing. So before he became a wrestler. <clears throat> All right. Um, now we got some clips and quite a few. All right, let's go to the Power Hour where we have Funk's Grill, where uh, Teddy Long and Norman are his guests, and uh, these are always a hoot. So let's go to that, shall we? Terry Funk, I have a message for you. Whether you like it oh, or whether pause. you don't. I forgot. We got a fan who's one of the rowdy fans we'll be talking about later. He's cutting the promo here on Terry Funk before Funk's Grill. This is a rowdy-ass fucking crowd, which we'll get into that in just a minute. But, uh, yeah, listen to this, folks. Yes, on the NWA fan scan uh, camera, as they call it. Like it, learn to love it, because Ric Flair is the best thing going today. Thank you. It's time to hang out with the stars. Let's go to the most unpredictable place on the Power Hour. Let's go to Funk's Grill and find out who's on this week's menu. Thanks, John. I want to welcome you simple-minded people once again to Funk's Grill. And who do I have as special guests today? Norman and Theodore Arlong. Theodore Arlong, it's a pleasure to have you here. The first thing I want to say is I want to congratulate you for giving me the opportunity to be in Funk's Grill. But my main concern is today is Norman and the word that begins with the letter L. Oh, I realize that is a tremendous concern of yours. You know, do you know who Norman reminds me of? He... Who does he, Jerry? He reminds me of John Belushi on a two-week binge. No, no, no. Ah... Uh, I know who you look just like. You look just like Michael Keaton in Batman. Say, you wouldn't happen to have a bat costume, would you, Norman? No, I don't. But my whole family is batty, except for me. I kind of figured that, Norman. But you know, you mentioned that L word and getting rid of that L word. Well, I'm just a man can, that can do that because you know what? I am the official name changer. And I can change his name because what I'm going to do is can give him really a test. I'm can, sure I can. can. you really do it, Terry? And I'm going to give him a test. Oh, well, he can pass it. He has to answer all three of them right. All, all three. All three questions I'm going to give him. And if Norman will step back, I will give you a test, a visual test, Norm. Visual, visual test. Here is the first thing I am going to give you, Norman, right here. If I can get this silly pin to work. There we go, Norman. What in the world is that? It's a ball. Very, very good. Don't you what think that was, a, that was a ball? What did I tell you? That was a ball. Now let's see if he can tell us what this is. This is a little tougher. He can do it. He can do it. I know he can. What is that, Norman? Bird. 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 <laughs> That's two for three, Norman. Now if you get this next one right, you are going to be promoted. Here is the next one right here. Whoop. Boy, this isn't a very good one, but I'm trying real, real hard. It swims in the water. It swims in the water. He underwater. fish. That's right, Norman. You got three in a row. <laughs> what did I tell you? So, Norman, I want to congratulate you. You have been promoted to a maniac. It's now Norman the maniac. You know what? He's so good that I would like to take him out to the ranch and make him the foreman of my ranch. How would that be? The foreman of the double cross, I'll pay him $5 an hour. Oh, no, 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 Terry. I can't let you do that. Not $5 an hour. He needs more than that. How about 250 for you and 250 for him? 
That sounds good. I'll go for that. Yeah. Hey, what's this? That looks like pi r square to me. <laughs> Harry, what's the matter with you? You know that cornbread is square and pi is round. What's the matter? By golly, you're right. I can't believe it. It is amazing to look back on the television in this era and see the incarnations of Terry Funk. We have Terry Funk, the wrestler, who is a lunatic. Then we have Terry Funk, the guy here in Funk's Grill, who is pal around with baby faces, like the Steiner brothers. And just, Even though he's also the heel in the promotion. <laughs> it's and amazing to it watch. Because he's Terry Funk. That's right. He's the only one that could get away with that. Because he's Terry Funk. This is wild. While watching, you know, watching this stuff here and and seeing the different different Terry Funks you get. Because it, the Steiners, whenever the Steiners are on the phone screen, he's like he's piling around with them, joking with Rick and stuff. And I mean, it's just wild. And they're friends with Sting. <laughs> so uh, it's 1989 NWA. That's they're the superior wrestling promotion in the world, Bix, according to the Oakland Two. Well, we wrestle in the NWA. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, let's go to the next clip, which also involves Terry Funk and the crazy-ass fans in New Orleans. All right, so the main event of Power Hour, and this is a hell of a match, too. It's Sting and Dr. Death against Terry Funk and Terry Gordon. And uh, yeah, this crowd is unruly. There, there are some characters in this crowd. So first off here, we'll have um, Terry Gordon going to the floor where a large fan comes up to him and uh, does his impersonation of Terry Gordy, so to speak. Well, it's kind showing of off a Kamala his... impersonation, too. But... Yeah, showing off his fat stomach <laughs> right in front of Gordy and Funk. So let's go to that, shall we? Somebody needs to put him back on his medicine. He may have had one too many hurricanes down here. I've been through one too many hurricanes here in New Orleans. The stoic Gary Hart, who made his debut with Terry Funk in Baltimore on July 23rd at the Glory Day. All right, pause real quick. All right, so you're about to hear a chant here in a second. For, uh, uh, directed at Terry Funk, and uh, yeah, another another one for the crowd insanity here uh, in, in that folder. And Jr. Uh, talks about it as well. So uh, let's listen in more. Shall Do you want me to skip ahead a little bit for that, maybe? Or I think you just let it let it play. I think it's okay. very very soon. Terry Gordy tags in, collar and elbow, pushing Sting back into the rope. Big right hand by Gordy. Toughest man in the sport. Going Sting out again and Sting. They try to set a trap for him, and he will not go for it. They want to throw him outside where it's two on one. The Stinger lands, and he jumps right back in the ring where the business will be transacted.
the fans are, are saying in his direction. He was ready to go out in the stands. He's an unpredictable individual. And the battle so with Ric Flair is far right. from over. So Funk drops down, jumps over the railing into the fans, and the fat guy who was over there uh, with his stomach in front of Gordy and Funk goes right in Terry Funk's face and starts yelling fucking shit at him. <laughs> and aside from bullshit, which I feel, I mean, especially now, maybe not 1989 is barely even a profanity anymore. I can't think of many more vulgar chants on like mainstream wrestling TV than a funk ain't shit. Um, this is not, yeah, 1989. And they, and you gotta know there's kids in the crowd because it's summer. Yeah. So <laughs> and there's there's that, that one raw it was in University of Wisconsin where that's the chant where there was the eat shit fuck you. Yeah, but that's uh, a different era though. No, I know, but even th- even then that was an outlier though. Yeah. Uh, but it's you don't really get that much of it in mainstream TV wrestling. 1989. This New Orleans crowd was a damn. Who boy, they were they were just hot as hell and doing all kinds of chants and it was a crazy crowd. Alright, so uh and if you haven't watched that match, go watch that match. It's a hell of a fucking match. Alright, so um let's go to World Championship Wrestling the next night. We're gonna have Terry Funk and Gary Hart, and let's look at this version of Terry Funk as compared to the Funk Grill version of Terry Hart Terry Funk. Terry Hart? I'm gonna say Terry Hart, yes. Get Terry Hart, Gary Hart, you know. Superstation TBS. Let's be quiet for a minute, Ross. You know that Ric Flair told you that he was a man with a mission. Well, Ric Flair might be a man with a mission, but he needs a church. He needs a cathedral. He needs a whole congregation, Gary Hart. He needs the whole United States praying for him tomorrow night because I am going to win the world's heavyweight championship, aren't I, Gary? He better hope that the fans of Atlanta, Georgia is on his side the way they were in Baltimore because if the fans let him down, we're going to eat him like boarding house pie. That's how they talk down here in the South. You're going to be the next world heavyweight champion. You know you're going to be. But do I need you, Gary? No, I don't need you. Do I need Muta? No, I don't need Muta because I have got myself in the ring and I am a man obsessed. Flair says that he is chasing me. Well, why don't he just stop and I will run right over the top of him. You are looking at the new world's heavyweight champion and that is a promise to you people. You buy a ticket to the Omni and you are going to see a new world's champion. You are going to see the Nolan Ryan of professional wrestling. People thought, well, he can never pitch another no-hitter. Well, I'll guarantee you he did, and he'll pitch another one. Just like I but you did. will go ahead and win the world. There's two more. Out here this evening, this whole arena started to screaming, we want Flair. And you looked at me, and you said, said we, we do too. One Flair. Yeah. We want Flair more than you people out there. We want what you got. 
the world's champion. Well, you'll, you'll find out tomorrow night what you're both made of, 8 o'clock in the Omni tomorrow night, gentlemen. Not by you, Rod. Well, I, it's for feelings mutual. And now let's go up to Rhubarb Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing uh, from I'm... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Trent Knight. Oh, you love your Trent, you love your Trent Knight, don't you, Vicks? Entering the ring. Tommy Rich. From Atlanta, Georgia. Nate Williams. Nate Jr. What's up? All my righty friends coming over tonight. Okay. Is this Tommy's first match? Tommy Rich makes his way to the ring. No. Okay. How long has he been He's just been back. He just came back. Okay. So this is like maybe his second center stage saving? Probably. All right, so let's go to Lex Luger, who uh, he has a promo here on World Changer Wrestling as he's getting real deep into his heel character. And uh, let's listen to, to Lex here. Championship, one of many titles to be decided tomorrow night. And Lex Luger will be wrestling tomorrow night in the Omni. Rick Steiner for the United States Heavyweight Championship. And I have to think. You have had the physical advantage over virtually every single opponent you've ever stepped in the ring with. But I think that margin has narrowed considerably when he stepped in with a man like Rick Steiner. Before I get to that, first of all, the injustice, the malignant tumor that persisted in the NWA Jim Ross has been removed. I am now, as I should have been all along, the number one contender in the NWA today. I also have become, without a doubt, the storied history of this belt. No doubt about it, the greatest United States heavyweight champion of all time. That's right. And you know, when you become in a class by yourself, Jim Ross, what I've actually become is the Michael Tyson of the NWA. Michael? What I've become. He knows him personally, I guess. I they feed them to me, I spit them up, I spit them out, I chew them up. They're trying to find opponents for the total package like Luger because he is, after all, invincible. So they come up with Tommy Riches, and in the ambient tomorrow night, they come up with Rick Steiner. Steiner, your credentials are there, but you just don't stack up against the man, the greatest wrestler in our sport today. The total package. You'll find out that tomorrow night in the Omni. All right, we definitely will find that out tomorrow night in the Omni. We'll be back. We'll hear from Jim Cornette from the Midnight Express along with Dr. Death and see the Road Warriors right after this. Well, let's go to Rick Steiner now. Let's see how serious he's taking this match with Lex Luger, shall we? But first, we want to spend a few moments here with our good friend Rick Steiner. Boy, this is a big weekend here in Atlanta. The Omni this Sunday night. Eight yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a prize for us, man. Me and you, me and you. I got, look at, you got a surprise. I got you and I tickets in the front row for that big show on the Omni. Don't tell nobody. Don't tell my brother, cause he, you know, I only got two tickets for you and I. Well, you, you bring the girl, what? so you, you, you know, I got Wait. tickets for you and I. Why did you, why did you buy tickets? You're wrestling Lex Luger tomorrow night for the know, U.S. But, title. Well, this will make sure you and I get in free. I mean, everybody else got tickets. We'll be on the front row. 
I don't know where those other guys are sitting, but me and you get to sit on the front row. Why don't you? Why don't you give these tickets? Uh, you don't. You don't need a ticket. I think I can get in okay. I know the guy at the back door. Well, why don't you give these to Robin? Robin Green, my wife. Oh, I don't. I don't spend my money on women like that. You know? I don't know. I, I, I gotta have a ticket. You and I gotta have tickets okay. to get in. All right. Well, uh, I gotta see. This is great. It is this great. is great. Run up front row. You mean to buy the popcorn? I buy the hot dog. I, I spent all my money on the ticket. You gotta buy the popcorn. Okay, I will. Now, what about Lex Luger? You gonna leave your seat and go wrestle Lex Luger tomorrow night? The U.S. Championship. You can be the U.S. Champion tomorrow night if you beat him. Yeah, but we're on the front row. You don't under. Okay. I don't think... Okay, that's great. Thank you a lot. Yeah, you, I'll see you tomorrow night. I tell you what, you keep them. Okay. Because I might forget to bring them, but you keep them, then I'll meet you there, and we'll go and sit in the front row. All right, I look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Sure. See you tomorrow night. All right, buddy. All right, all right yeah, man. Me and you. Me oh. and you all the way. All right. Well, he will be wrestling Lex Luger tomorrow night for the U.S. title, but we do have a couple of good seats, and some still available. And now let's go up to Rhubarb. <coughs> all right. What? I don't think there's been... E well, go ahead, go ahead and say what you're going to say. Go ahead. Say, well, this will probably go a little bit towards what you were thinking, too. Why is it that once the Steiners are a thing as a team, like, you know, solidly, Rick never cuts promos again? I have no idea. It makes no sense. <clears throat> because <clears throat> nobody played this type of character in wrestling history like Rick Steiner did. No. Nobody. And Jim Ross is perfect as a straight man. And playing off of him. And it's like, yeah, when the Steiners become a thing as a tag team, when they win the tag titles, you know, this Rick Steiner's done. And I, you know who I think is the reason for that? Hmm. Flair. Go on. Flair's just now the, uh, he's the new head of, of uh, the booking department, right? Yeah. When does all this, uh, when does all the Rick Steiner stuff end? Right after. A after the Robin Green stuff. Yeah. That's when it all ends. And we don't get that Rick Steiner no more. Yeah. He's still like, he still does stuff, but it's not in promos or anything. He does stuff in the ring. Yeah. But even then, it's, not, it's 1990 moves on. He quits doing some of that stuff. He becomes like dumb jock tough guy, Rick, you know? Not lovable Rick Steiner. Yes, exactly. Which, I mean, I don't know if Rick had anything to do with that himself. But, it, you know, Ole's probably another one that, 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 that go with that too, you know. Ole probably did not like that type of deal. Ole wanted – I'm thinking Ole wanted the Steiners to be like him and Gene. Mm, like a babyface Anderson, basically. Yes. Yes. So – that's what it is, but I mean, he's so fucking good in his character. God. All right, so our main event is uh, Sting and Eddie Gilbert against the New Zealand Militia. Terry Funk and the Great Muda get involved, and all hell breaks loose from there, and center stage loses their fucking minds when Ric Flair joins the fray. So let's go to the clip. Take it off the big cowboy boot and hit him sing in the head with it. 
Watch for flare, Bix. Here he comes. Watch him fall over the rail. Right. Look at the crowd running down. Listen to this. Rick Flair has always talked about how he he never could be a good babyface because he did he couldn't work like a babyface as far as like strikes, and you kind of see it there, like him coming in on this babyface you know deal here where he's making the save, and you know he's trying to to do offense, but his main is this main thing is his chops. Yeah. But he tries – he does some elbows and stuff. He's not – Ric Flair is not a puncher. That's not what he does. You know, more more than not, your babyface run-ins consist of punches and and stuff like that. That's not what Flair does. So that that's one thing that goes into that what Flair has always said is that he didn't – that's just not how he worked. He didn't have that babyface striking offense, which is one reason why he was never a really good babyface. But fans here didn't give a fuck. They were just going fucking nuts. And, God, those center stage crowds were so great before they packed them in with models and everything. I mean, when they actually let the people come in there that, that wanted to be there and was reacting. I mean, good Lord. There are fans running down to the running down when Flair got in there. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that was, that's fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And the other great thing about this run, though, with Flair is it's the only time... Where he's a full baby face. When I say full baby face, I mean his demeanor, the style of promos he's cutting in terms of the content. That when he mentions that he's not as like forward and heelish with the ladies' man stuff, etc. It's the only time where he's a hundred percent nature, but a hundred percent baby face. Yes. Yes. As we'll play this promo here, he's not. He's not playing a like soft-spoken, demure type Ric Flair. He's Nate, but he's, he's not, Right. He's and the, not like And the reason well here's the reason why. He never he never turned. He got turned on. Well he never got turned well he didn't get turned on either because Terry Funk was just a guy. Yeah. They just did the heat they did this heat angle that got the sympathy for him. And then he comes back and that's how they they you know they turn they make him a baby face. And now, you know, everybody get into it here with two guys he had been feuding with, Sting and Eddie Gilbert. You know, now we have common allies, you know. 
we were fighting on the con- for the common cause. So we're friends. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm not against you anymore. You know, exactly. So let's go to the promo and then get a little bit more of a context of what we're talking about. Sunday night in the Omni at eight o'clock is going to be one of the biggest nights ever for the National Wrestling Alliance. Ric Flair still strutting his stuff. He's got a new pair of boots on. We're going to see here in a few seconds. You're going to settle a situation with Muda. It was obvious they wanted to put you out before this Sunday night. It's obvious they want to do that. Russ, I can't talk about that. I will hit on that in a second, but right now, I got to say, I never, ever thought that I'd say I like the nature boy. I used to hate the nature boy. Still don't know about him sometimes, but right this very moment. Ow, oh, nature boy, you're doing all right. And I like those new boots he's got, too. I want to see those suckers. Blair still strutting this stuff. Eddie, you all right? Yeah, let me, let me just say something. I kind of agree with Sting. But after what just happened, and after the man came to the ring, I forgot everything he ever did bad. All I know is the world heavyweight champion. You know, Eddie? <laughs> if you'd have told me six months ago, I'd stand here on national TV and high-five this man, I'd have called you a lion, no good, you know what. But the bottom line is, pal, I owe you. Come here, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> All fair and love and war and Terry Funk, if you're back there, take a look at this fun because I am. <laughs> He's dancing in the boots. And the bottom line is, tomorrow night in Atlanta, Georgia, where the women are as hot as the summer night. We, that's right, girls, something's ever changed. We, myself, the figures, Eddie Gilbert, are going to make things right in the world woo, of professional wrestling. That means that some people we've already talked about are going to bleed and sweat and pay the price for walking on the wrong toes. Hollow one time, big man. We, you know, think about this. I'm for the first time going to have the pleasure of watching the Road Warriors in the war game from the outside. And I love it. Hawk, Animal, SST, Freebird, Midnight, Pandemonium only in Atlanta, Georgia. Terry Funk, <laughs> Gary Hart, and Muda, tomorrow night. Remember, it's tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, right here in the Omni. Don't forget, we'll talk more about it. The final countdown with Paul E. Dangerously and I. And you know, telling what's going to happen tomorrow night at 6.05. Until then, I'm Jim Ross saying so long, everybody, until tomorrow night. And how about uh, <laughs> uh, head of the booking department, Ric Flair, making sure to announce, talk about the other matches on the Omni show, like the War Games match. And also, Got to put it over, brother. Uh, 
<clears throat> solidifying that he's a babyface by high-fiving with his re with recent rival Eddie Gilbert, who he's about to fire from the booking committee. <laughs> and if you notice, Missy Hyatt showed up there as well, standing in the background. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yes. Also, but, uh... Uh, you know, we said it a million times, too. The better Sting got as a promo, the worse Sting got as a promo. Yes. <laughs> as yes. he became more polished, he was less effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But um, oh, this is this is a it's great stuff here. Even though the ratings uh, aren't dictating that TV ratings for the past, we saw Power Hour on August fourth drew a one point five rating at ten thirty after the Braves game. World Championship Wrestling drew a one point nine, and Main Event drew a two point zero, which are all below par. Actually, on the Sunday, the wrestling drew lower numbers than most of the rest of the programming, which is unusual. So traditionally, the wrestling on TBS has drawn the best numbers for TBS. At the baseball season ends, Power Hour moved to 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific weekly. And we don't have household totals for this because for some reason there are no ratings in MatWatch for a couple weeks. Well, because Steve Beverly's in London. But he didn't catch up either. Well, he's, well, as we've seen with Dave, so when these things happen, when somebody goes on a trip or something like that, then... They they say well we'll, we'll we'll you know talk more about this and we'll catch up blah 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 it never happens so, because there's so much stuff that goes on that you know it's kind of hard for them you know I what, get it what week is he off though because I don't see any gaps in the issues we have he's off for two weeks but he's still he's getting stuff he's watching TV it's it's odd but he wasn't but he's doing not, reporting. He wasn't reporting, yes. Okay. If you get what I'm trying to say. All right. There's no, okay. there's no real hard reporting going on. Go uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find here um, what was on TBS. Oh, so this is that Sunday, right? The main event, so August the 6th. All right. Let's see here what was on TBS that day that did better than the NWA main event. <clears throat> All right, so main event came on six oh five. All right, so uh... oh yeah, the front page of the of the Matt Watch that would have had the ratings normally is basically Steve's version of Larry King's News and Views. Yeah, I continue to marvel at Wade Keller as a bright young wrestling writer. All right, so they had Wrestling's Greatest Hits at four fifty five p.m. Mm -hmm. Then the new Leave It to Beaver came on at five oh five. New Leave It to Beaver came on at five thirty five. The Braves game was at two ten, so that may have been why Gresson's Greatest Hits was on. Um, so they must have some some movie. Oh, Hogan's Heroes was on before the Braves. Uh, I don't see. Don't have anything else before then. I can see off the top of my head. So. Huh. Interesting. <clears throat> All right. Um, back to the uh, show here. Talk about replaced Paulie Dangerous as manager of the SST with Alpha <clears throat> and Dangerous who manager of the Heels. Well, nothing happened. None of this happens because Humperdinck replaces Dangerously because he's fired <clears throat> and Alpha never comes in. Yeah. And he throws a trash can in Ric Flair's general direction. <clears throat> yes. Tom Zink will debut at the Clash as the masked uh, wrestler called Mr. Z <clears throat> on the September 12th Clash. Sure he will. Next week's Observer 
Dave clarifies that that's not good the case. No, he's going to be Zeman, Tom Zank. Yes. Um, I, look, how can you think that any promotion, especially one run by Jim Hurd with the way he kind of tried to value wrestlers, why would you expect anyone in this era to bring in Tom Zank and put him under a mask? It's, it makes no sense. Nope. <clears throat> Not at all. Why would Tom Zank wear a mask? Exactly. I know, he's so pretty. Yeah. All right. Um, the idea where the Ding Dongs came out with the Polaroids was brilliant. Only wish it was used for Rick Steiner, where it could have been of value. As they used the Ding Dongs and Squash guys to get creamed their way at the Malkies a few years back, they would got a cult following. I like Mitsuo Omoto in Japan. But if they're trying to push them on TV, they won't get over. NWA needs jobbers with personality to make sure make the squashes more interesting, but they don't need jobbers being put over on television. And they end up solving this anyway <clears throat> when uh, Cornette and Sullivan start writing the TV, and they try to bring in more enhancement, you know, with personalities and more experienced guys. You know, they backdoor Cactus Jack on TV, but because they can book the job guys themselves, um, the Galaxians come in. So th- that and they, does happen. Yeah, yeah. And they get rid of the ding dongs by having the skyscrapers just destroy them and unmask them. So there you go. Yeah. An idea for a costume battle royal on the next pay per view, please know, is that the guys will be so dressed, so dressed up in costumes that you don't know who they are, and the wrestlers don't know who they are. So anyone can fight anyone. Only problem is, aside from making it look like a bunch of clowns out there, if the fans can't tell who's who, they won't care about it or root for their favorites. And besides, how can you disguise Sid Vicious? Well, I guess nine years later, Randy Hales definitely did not remember this issue of The Observer. <laughs> but that was an idea for Halloween Havoc. Yes. That never came to be. Yes. And probably a good thing. Yes. Well, if you've seen the Masquerade Mall, it's a very good thing. <laughs> the, so, that, that is one of the worst hours of wrestling television I've ever seen. And the, and the Battle Royal that closes it is one of the worst, hour, worst matches I've ever seen. Because you have no idea who is who. So you have the deadest Memphis studio crowd you will ever see in your life. It's cute, but it's something that just will not work in execution. Nope. I mean, I get the idea for it, but because you might have people fighting people that don't know who they are, so, but still. All right, well, that is it for us this week. Next week on Between the Sheets, we'll have a Patreon request to show as Greg Sirota will be with us and uh, for the WF section, correct, Bix? Is that what, he was, what he's doing with us? Yes. All right, well, on WWF, we'll be talking about, uh, we're going back to 1988. And uh, he'll be talking about uh, Madison Square Garden and selling out for SummerSlam. And they're going to open up the Fell Forum for this. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the feuds coming up after SummerSlam, Andre and Savage at the house shows. They'll have some other house show stuff, including an interesting result from a Crockett Stronghold, Jimmy Hart on Brother Love, and Hulk Hogan, Mike Tyson. What the hell's going on there? So we'll talk about that. We'll have... Uh, other news from the uh, territories slash uh, indie scene as uh, we have a ch- big title change of world class talk about Windy City Wrestling. We'll talk about them. Brickhouse Brown and a major angle on Memphis Television with the Tennessee Stud. We'll talk about that. We got Continental stuff to talk about with Burhead Jones and Dave watching the television on Monster TV and giving his thoughts on the television. So we'll have that. Uh, we got other sort of news here. We got uh, Puerto Rico as a uh, Bruce Brody's murder has just happened. We're a month, almost a month after that. So we'll talk about the lay of the land there, what's going on there, including in, in news on Invaders' arraignment. 
we'll have that. Then we have Mexico. We got Canada. It was a good little stampede to talk about. UWF, a major show in UWF at, at the Art Coliseum in Tokyo. We'll talk about that. Enter and look into Sumi Fujinami going 60 minutes in New Japan. We'll talk about that. And, uh, and Crocker Promotions will have some interesting clips to play, some, some promos. We'll have uh, news on the comings and goings and who might be leaving. And we'll have uh, some news with Matt Watch involved heavily on the possible sale of your promotions to Ted Turner. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the peach state of Georgia. Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 70. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. It's time to close it out. Part four of Titan Gate 1992. And uh, wow, <laughs> the day we're recording this is the day that uh, on Monday, July 25th, 2022, the Triple H has been installed as the head of creative. Vincent Man made over $150 million today in stocks. <laughs> They're the yes. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, the other, I mean, the really important thing is it's the day the quarterly uh, 8K report came out where they basically said that 
So WWE is claiming when people reach out that Vince paid his hush money payments himself, but that because it, it benefited the company, it doesn't really matter, I guess is what they're saying. And so his hush money payments are now being recorded as company spending, and they're redoing old books. So that explains, yes, that also we're recording this a few days after he announced his quote-unquote retirement, which is phrased as a resignation in the SEC filing as well. Yeah, but he made $150 million today. <laughs> yeah. So even when, even, even in adversity, this man still wins. <laughs> well, Amazing. So. Amazing how that works. So, yes, it's time to talk, go back 30 years to 1992, part four, Titan Gate. We're going to figure out where we left off in June. Rick Garner and Bill Conkle's Rust Radio Show in Las Vegas this past Sunday interview, Cheryl Vasquez, the 45-year-old upstate New York housewife who picketed the Titan matches last week at Poughkeepsie. Vasquez claimed that one of the cars driven by Derek Rustler when he arrived to the building and saw a protest and tried to run her over. I wonder who that was. She also said that WWF wrestler's name she wouldn't mention, but said it was one of the biggest stars in the company, was very friendly and apologized for the behavior of some of the other wrestlers. Well. All right, spotlight on Joe Vasquez. The following conversation took place July 12th on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Russell Talk Radio Show in Las Vegas. So I have to be Bill Kunkel and Rick Carter, I guess? Um, sure. I'll okay. be Cheryl. <laughs> All right, so we start with uh, Kunkel. When this whole ring boy sex scandal broke, the thing that amazed me was the total blasé attitude that most WWF fans seemed to have towards this thing. It was just, I think, all kind of jumbled together with steroids. There was no negative response other than obviously people staying home, which the WWF caused on their own. That really is the fr this is excuse me this is really is the first protest we've seen. And then Rick chimes in with, "Let's go ahead and bring Cheryl on. Cheryl, are you there?" Yeah, hi, I'm here. How did this whole protest get started? Well, actually, you can't hate anything until you loved it at first. And I guess you could say we were WWF's biggest fans years ago, but over the years we've become so offended and outraged. You know, with a lot of different issues. He brought down minorities and made fun of homosexuals and even affected my own children. I have three sons. The oldest is 25. And I even suspected maybe he was doing steroids because he's got a big, beautiful body that all my boys have been trying to get for years. I must discredit myself here because I'm part of the problem, I guess, because I love wrestling and my mentality. Look at those muscles. Look at those muscles. I feel I spent so much money over the years on WWF. I just didn't have the right to complain about it anymore if I didn't do something about it when I got the chance. So I did. And although the protest was small, the end result was beyond our farthest dreams. How many videos? Describing her son, describing her son with a big, beautiful body. That's yeah, that did strike me as weird, too, but... How many individuals were involved in the protest? Well, there were just five. Three started out. We got permission from the city of Poughkeepsie. They gave us our guidelines, told us what we could do, what we couldn't do. We followed them to the letter. It was very peaceful. We had eight or ten different signs related to the scandals. One that said, where's Mel, Terry, and Pat if they're not guilty? One said, sex, drugs, lies, scandals, and child abuse. I happen the person knows something about that, or I wouldn't have put that in. Now okay. Bill chimes in with Cheryl. You knew quite a few of the ring boys in the upstate New York area. Yes, I did. So this was more of a personal issue to you. It's very personal to me, and I don't really like to talk about it because I've turned everything over to the authorities. They're investigating this, and I feel the kids I knew are victims. I called just the other day to one of them to ask him why he didn't come to our protest. 
because he said he might do it. He told me he may get his ring job back because he'd been in touch with suspending Rick, the ring announcer and ring crew chief Mel Phillips himself. He told me he was not allowed to talk to me anymore. I said, what do you mean you can't talk to me? He told me he wished he could tell me everything, but he couldn't. He seemed me under terrible pressure. I asked him different questions, different names. He informed me he was in touch with the attorney chairman at Pittsburgh that very morning. This was Friday, just last Friday, and he couldn't talk to me anymore about it. But I think the damage he said has already been done. It's already been handed over to the authorities. Was this individual a minor? He was 14 years old when I met him. But I mean now, in this conversation you had with him last week. Well, he's 2021 20, now. Okay, but you taped a conversation with him? Well... Or you had a conversation with him? I had a conversation with him. That was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, I think it comes out that she has been prone to taping conversations. Um, I have something that I have, I think, that Phil had. I have a transcript of a conversation he had with her, but I don't think there's anything we need in there. Um, still interesting. Um, go back to Bill. What kind of reaction did you get from the WWF people, wrestlers, fans in general to the protest? Well, at first, you know, I was a little leery. A lot of the mothers had tickets in their hands, so they were going to buy tickets there. It was like conscious check time for the mothers. We weren't trying to prevent you know, from going in. I mean, those are part of our guidelines. We had a very big effect. One mother stood out in particular. She had two sons with her, and they also had friends with them. She came up to us and told us she had heard about these alleged scandals, but the kids didn't see or didn't know anything about them. The only thing they knew about was Hulk Hogan that he had lied on our senior hall show. Just couldn't believe that one bit salon could harbor so many sick employees. She said this had been a major corporation here in Dutchess County that the people, that the media would have just covered it all over the place. But she really wasn't even aware of the damaging images this new character, Razor Ramon, has. Uh-oh. She doesn't watch the superstars and wrestling challenge TV shows. She admitted that, you know, the kids watch it. It's like a babysitter, the television. But she did vow to watch it that weekend, which is an episode when Ramon took fruit and told the kids they didn't need school or books to be like him, that they should take what they want. She said it's going to be a major priority this summer to deprogram her kids. Being that summer was here, the team wasn't on that much anyway. Lots of parents asked for our numbers and everything. In fact, we would have been in the Meadowlands last night, and this is a fact. We had nobody police ahead of time. We had such a huge reaction to this that I we're new to this, and I don't know how to... Go back and get some people together to do this. We're not through yet. We're only just begun. The kids. Editor's note. I believe Vasco is referring to the four members of their friend crew in the Poughkeepsie area. Thought it would be great fun to be at a protest. All of them had something. A major crap about one thing or another about WF. They even said they would go to Stanford, Connecticut. The wrestlers were another story. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say any names. Should I say a name? Sure, go ahead. Well, I don't know which one he was, but the Nasty Boys came and saw us carrying our signs, and we were on the side while we were supposed to be moving constantly. They tried to run us over. They put their accelerators to the gas and laughed. They yelled the city at us. I'm a mother, okay, and this isn't right to do. There were crowds of kids with their parents. The security was there. Jerry Sagnanovich sags, so disgusting and abusive verbally, a lot of parents just shook their heads and said, gee. I wish the kids wouldn't have seen this, but I guess it's good that they did. And they shook their heads and supported us after the scene. There's another wrestler there, very, 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 very well-known one. He was very sympathetic and supportive. In fact, he even tried to calm, quiet down Sags and Skinner the Swamp thing. Steve Kern, yeah? 
Yeah, he told them that he, we weren't being abusive. We were no threat to them. We had our civil rights, too, and they should be quiet. He actually tried to quiet them down. He's a very well-known wrestler. But Saganovich was horrible. There was also a mere ring rat girl that I had known. <laughs> she pulled up on the sidewall with her mercury sable and tried to back it over on me. And she went through the back door, too, with several other dear friends of Vincent Mann's that allegedly worked for them. <laughs> Bring wow. that girl. <laughs> try to try to run over. <laughs> oh, that, that is crazy. Going in through the back door, that ring rat. Uh, they cook for you. They'll keep you company. They'll try to run over protesters with their mercury sable. <laughs> oh my god. See, I mean, it's such a shame that, you know, the wrestlers decided to use such a derogatory name for women who were so loyal to them, you know, but still, very, that, that's, a, that, that's quite some loyalty to the, to the World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> not even to any specific wrestlers. Anyway. I know, I'll ask Marvez a question here, Bix. Yeah, okay, he didn't make that clear in the intro. Uh, I was wondering if you're going to be at Long Island August 1st at the Nassau County Coliseum. The reason being that is WWF's hottest spot in the country right now. Alex, that's also a bit difficult because I've never been down there myself. We have to figure out how to get us all down there. It's just not me anymore. And I urge anyone that's within listening distance, you parents out there, unite. We have a little like Ghostbusters logo with a red circle and a WF's in the middle. Just wear that and you can get in there on your own. I'm really not familiar with that area, but I think for the long run, Mr. Man's recycling his trash and taking it to England. We're really going to go for him when he comes back to the States. It may take a little longer because now there are a lot of people involved. I just don't know how to do this. I'm only one person. Now Rick comes back in with, I understand the police came out at some point? They came out about four times. The official, and I don't know who he was, and I usually know all of them, a short, heavyset man with black hair came out of a big white church limousine and said, get them the hell out of here. The road agent, Tony Gurria, was standing here. The police have come by four times, and this police official even said the Civic Center owns the sidewall, which is the only place where we were allowed to protest. That is where all the wrestlers park. Four times police came, and they were just checking to make sure nobody was getting violent with us. And then we had permission. The officers told the WF they were sorry, but there was nothing they could do about it because they had the right to be there. They did everything in their power to get rid of us, including telling us they owned the sidewalk. They wanted to see our permit. We did not need a permit because there weren't that many people there. The security supported us, though. It's supposed to be a privately owned civic center by Poughkeepsie businessmen. They claim to be a nonprofit organization. Also, one supporter could come to the protest, but did call a local newspaper here and told them about it. They said, oh, well, gee, you know, we're in a hurry because of the holiday weekend. Now, mind you, this was July 2nd, but they wanted to get out early. They're only half a block down the road from the civic center, but they didn't want to cover it. I've been touching them to see if they would do any stories about only these alleged scandals, which, you know, is a chalk sport. They've never done anything about it. Mm-hmm. There's your I, mindset. Right yep. I understand the WWF had not been in Poughkeepsie in a year before this show. About a year, yeah. There was a little independent card slated with Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik. It mysteriously was canceled. That's two weeks later, it's announced on the day it was coming in. They had been here for several years. It used to do TV tapings there. Huh. Okay, I'm curious now when they had last been there. Um, you know, quit doing TV tapings there in 86. I know okay. they ran some house shows. Okay, there was a September twelfth, ninety one house show. Uh, there was a G okay. There were 
Four shows in 90. So if she's talking about a gap, it would have been a bigger gap, right? I mean, it would have been earlier. Yeah. A um, few shows in, 90, in 89. She could just be remembering wrong. Could be. Bunch of shows in 88. Yeah. Because at this point, then, it's just a two-year gap. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think she's remembering that wrong. Yeah, she, probably. Yeah, because I see shows in 87, yeah. So, I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, so, all right, my turn now is Bo Kunkel. Cheryl, when did you find out about these things that were going wrong in the World Wrestling Federation? Was it through newsletters or through the media, or was it something you had a hunch about a long time ago? Well, I had a hunch about it. I got involved in it because there were several young ring boys, and we befriended because I would take a lot of the kids to the back where the rest used to come in. We have a scrapbook about a foot high filled with pictures and autographs. Anyway, I met these ring boys, and they came from, I guess you could say, dysfunctional families. They ride their bikes there. I always had a great big old car. So they would ask me, oh, Mrs. V, can we put our bike in the trunk of your car? And I said, sure. So I went in the trunk, and they had to wait for them to get the rings down so they get their bikes back. And every single time we knew the restaurants for us to go to afterwards, this man himself would go to the Seacrest Diner down on Wappinger Falls, and we'd always go there and have a hamburger and a soda with the kids, hoping that a wrestler would pass by and say something nice to them. All the time, Mel Phillips was there with the Ring Boys. I bumped into them many times during my travel shopping, and I was asking, gee, why are you always with Mel Phillips? Oh, well, we stayed at the so-and-so motel here, you know, on Route 9, this and that. And I say, but why? You live in Poughkeepsie. Mel treats us good. Mel's good to us. They were kind of unprotective about him. Over the past six months, I've learned a lot of things that weren't right. When I suspected something was going on with the boys, I had told some. They say their employees, Vincent Mann, I don't know if they're scouts or what, but I do have proof that they work for him in a small capacity. He used to come over here many cups of, get many cups of tea and tell me things that were going on. They had free run of what used to be in the Greenwich, Connecticut, and now Stanford. They told me about these blow-up dolls and they have officers in the closet. They nicknamed it Big John and a big sex organ. And Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon often joked about it. They told me many, many, many stories. I could write a book myself. <laughs> big John. <sighs> wow. And then Kevin Dunn hires a friend of his that had no known qualifications, and his nickname ends up being Big John. Well, his name is John. So his name is he's John, a big, and he's a large man. And he was a big, and he was a big man. So yeah, still but they also had Big John Stud who was working there. So yeah, they've had some Big Johns over the years. So what do you think of Cheryl Vasquez? Probably having never heard her name before this. I mean, she seems genuine, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the most interesting thing to come out of this is the stuff about these were all local kids, but they're staying at the hotel with the wrestlers. Yes. And she's like, why are you doing that? You live here. <laughs> why are you staying with Mel Phillips at a hotel room? Mm-hmm. So... It also kind of makes you wonder if one of her own kids wasn't part of this as well. It's just yeah, not saying that. Right. I mean, I wouldn't want to go too far with that line of discussion, but I get your point. Um, I'm just saying this part of the ring, this one, the ring boys or something that's involved. I mean, I'm just saying that involved with Mel Phillips. No, I know what you in mean. Particular, yeah. But could be one of the ring boys or could have worked in that capacity. 
Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was touching everything. Right. But he made it, uh, definitely friends, so to speak. Yeah, but this is. And how about the Nasty Boys? Don't su- that don't surprise me. No, no, no. That it was. Them. I just wonder who the very, 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 very well-known wrestler was. The one who wasn't Steve Kern, right? Uh, shall I pull up the results? I'm... Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's see. I got an idea, and I'll say it before you read the results if he's on there. Okay, so your results? I, was, I think it. Was, I think it was Savage. Uh, he's not on the show. Okay. So your results right. are Jim Powers defeated Kato. Bob Backlund, okay, that could be one, defeated Skinner. Eh. Shawn Michaels pinned Tito Santana. Nails defeated Virgil. Rick Martel defeated Tatanka by countout. And the Ultimate Warrior and Legion of Doom defeated Papa Shango and the Nasty Boys. Okay, I will go then with... Maybe it's Helwig! That he's much more mild-mannered with his lower steroid intake. Yeah, and he doesn't like homosexuals. What he views as homosexuals, at least. And, well, in some yes. cases, with the protests, probably actual homosexuals. But yes, I get your point. Um, I could also see it being Hawk or Animal, maybe. Yeah. Or could it be Tito? I mean, very, very, very well known, though, really. If Depending well, on how Tito literally you're taking that. years. Sure, sure. But depending on how literally you're taking that, that sounds most like, based on who's on the show, Warrior or Road Warriors. Yeah. Um... They're also in Fort Pierce that night, by the way. And was Sa- yes, yes, Savage was on that show facing Flair, defending his title. So, two different crews. Yeah, I, I think, I'm thinking Hellwick. Cause, cause, with the, with the uh, subject matter involved. Despite hate, the fact that he hates children, you mean? <laughs> well, yeah. To hear this entire show. Support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.